Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and Pop Culture Podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, in just a little over two hours, Graham McMillan and I wrestle to the ground the lightning-fast leopard that is 21st century nerd culture. Among the topics discussed today, Multiversity, Society of Supervillains by Grant Morrison, Chris Sprouse, and others, Batman, Future's End, and Batman and Robin, Future's End, the MacArthur Genius Grant, Scotland, Annihilator by Grant Morrison and Fraser Irving, Wonder Woman vs. Superman and Wonder Woman, Jason Shiga, George Perez, and of course, Avengers 201 through 225, The Avengine by Jim Shooter, Bob Budiansky, Bob Hall, Bill Mantlo, Gene Cullen, Alan Weiss, and many, many others. Pre-vacation show notes are now available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. Welcome to this historic day, listeners, as we record. People from my home country are voting whether to be independent or not. And I'm not going to lie to you, Jeff. I have been refreshing the fucking internet all day looking for more information on that story. You know, I, I have to say it. I've done it at least three or four times myself. I'm very, very curious to see what happens. And I was also very curious to... Um, I was hoping to be able to get your take on it, too, if you felt comfortable discussing it with us in the whatnots. Uh, I, uh, it's been really funny because my mother-in-law's been visiting here this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so there has been, it's honestly been a week of all of our neighbors being like, Graham, what do you think about Scottish independence? <laughs> and, like, as I'm about to answer, Kate's mother will be like, well, I'm for it. <laughs> funniest thing. <laughs> and it's like, she'll answer for me. Um... I have been... It's it's this really weird thing. I think I would have voted no. Interesting. Uh, yeah. It, not because... I, I would have voted no for, like, the worst reason, which is I'm far too cynical. Mm-hmm. Uh, I lack the nationalism that makes me think that Scottish politicians are inherently better than English politicians, to be honest. True, true. Um, and I also think there's a lot of... Like, the things about uh, the European Union and that Scotland might be out of it for five years... Mm-hmm. Um, and what the currency is things. That? What? Why? Well, well the, it depends who you believe. Mm-hmm. So the people who are behind the yes campaign are like, no, it's fine because Scotland won't be independent for two years, mm-hmm. and basically we'll sail through again in eighteen months. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And then earlier on this week, you had all these EU commissioners going, well, it's actually five years because you're going to have to leave and then reapply as a brand new country. Oh, for fuck's and, sake! And that takes you five years. Um, so things like that, it, it, my reason for voting no, honestly, would have been uh, small c conservatism of, I think there's an awful lot of stuff that could go wrong and could go wrong badly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I'm like, well, the union is wonderful. The union is strong. Right. But the other thing is, I've honestly thought that yes was going to get it all the way along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the time people hear this, they'll know what what actually happened but definitely all the polls today are suggesting that it's that the no's are going to get it which mm-hmm. genuinely surprises me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i honestly thought that, that scotland was going to go independent yeah, um yeah i have this weird thing where it's like well theoretically it's who i would have voted for but i'm simultaneously kind of disappointed yeah yeah no i kind of get it because i because i think there is that idea of like well you know, when you're when you're not actually vested in it, it's kind of like, yeah, let's do the grand experiment, you know, kind of thing. It's very easy for me 
to, you know, sit here and be like, yeah, Scotland should go ahead and do that. While at the same time, and this is the world's shittiest analogy, something like the five California, you know, petition that was going around uh, for this. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that? That didn't even make it to, you know, didn't get the requisite number of signatures. And I was like, ha, shoo, what a relief, you know, because I really have that weird thing. At least, you know, being an American, I'm like, I, I'm like, well, you know, the difference between Scotland, which has, you know, its own culture, its own history, and California, which is just like white guys insisting that they're different from those white guys, is kind of <laughs> vastly, vastly different. Well, but, you know? but part of it is also, I think, not living there for, for at this point, 12 years. Wow. Um, has also made me think in a way that it's kind of like white guys saying they're not like other white guys. Mm. Like I totally get, I totally understand the, um, Scotland is more to the left than Mm -hmm. England thing. Right. But I also think like you can make that argument for other parts of England. Whoa. Do you know what I mean? Like at that point, why are you not like, well, why doesn't the North of England secede from the South of England? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I, it's just, and again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure. I'm also not sure that it's a really strong argument either. Mm-hmm. 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 I don't know. I, I, I'm. I guess I am utterly unconvinced by any argument for mm-hmm. is what it comes down to. Because mm-hmm. I think the argument for inherently comes down to, well, we're Scottish, and we'll do better without the English. And I, I have neither the nationalism nor the hatred of the English to to genuinely believe that. Right. Right. Yeah, I I don't know, you know, I I I I get that. I I do indeed get that. I've, you know, for myself as a country that that did more or less be like, "Ah, yeah, you know, I I personally feel although I could be wrong and I mean seriously, my knowledge of the whole situation more or less starts and stops at John Oliver's recap. Uh, Which was very funny to be fair. Oh, really, really quite quite good. But I I had a little bit of the there's a lot of other countries in the world that are um, relatively oil rich that have a certain degree of economic leeway. You know what I mean? And the, admittedly, the idea that Scotland's output is going to be um, uh, reducing it's, dramatically. Yeah, it's, it's like quartered compared with what it was 10 years ago. Yeah, years ago. but I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily because I I'm not paying attention. I don't even know if there's you know if that means that there are uh... exactly is it a quarter of a big thing? Right, exactly. You know, or or <laughs> yeah, or like... also like there's a, like everyone's always quick to say here in the United States, there's a lot of oil reserves here in the country that have not been touched. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't well, necessarily know something... if Scotland has that as well. You know? Something that I saw yesterday that I thought was hilarious was. Um... The MPs for Shetland Islands mm-hmm. saying, "Well, we could always secede from Scotland," <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "And we might have, we might have the oil." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Basically, like ge- geographically, like we might have more of the oil. Wow! If we did that, which I thought was hilarious, and part of me really wanted, like, I wanted to go down that route. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I wanted to see what would happen if Scotland's like we're independent, we've got the oil, and then Shetland's like, actually, we've got the oil. 
I know we're independent. Well, and I and I haven't been paying attention to this, but there is also uh, when you say go down that road, there is part of me that's sort of interested in what happens with Scotland. Unfortunately, to sort of hop skip over your point, and I guess maybe to come back is is the idea that other countries like the there was you know a lot of talk uh, recently that people were like, well, you know, maybe Catalonia will split from Spain, maybe Flanders will split from well, Belgium, yeah, you know. The, the, the Catalonia thing is still is is up for vote. Next mm-hmm. year, later this year, like that's still happening. That's still active because that was actually part of what was going on in Scotland as well. You had a lot of uh, Spanish people mm-hmm. referencing that, mm-hmm. right? So I think I think the success of some the domino effect that could be very interesting if Scotland goes. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, but I don't know. Who knows? I have to say for myself as somebody who you know sits down at you know once or twice a year and tries to think about like going abroad on a vacation part of me is like eh, if you really want to cut yourself off from the british pound you know what i mean like you're seriously committed to leaving you know because i'm like yeah I, mm, the yeah give me some of that like tall british dollars please you know well I, I, the whole I, I i the whole thing has been fascinating to me because just the idea i mean i think i couldn't really imagine that they would leave the pound, and definitely the Yes campaign were saying no, we're keeping the pound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Just even that seems so incredibly surreal to me that I can't quite comprehend it. That that's right. even an option, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's I funny thing about this was like I I was aware it was happening mm-hmm. uh, because my my family back home were, were vehemently yes. Mm. I'm like, I've been talking about it for a really long time. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I'd convinced myself it was in November. <laughs> and so honestly, last week, so, like a friend of mine was like, I'm yes, and I think I should finally say it in the last few moments. And I was like, wait, but we've got a couple of months. And then I, like, I looked it up and I was like, or it's in six days. <laughs> well done. You're like... Exactly. Guess I wasn't paying that much attention at all. Scotland. Not Graham McMillan's problem anymore. Uh, <laughs> hey, like I said, I've not been there for 12 years. No, I totally get it, man. I totally well, get I've, it. I've been there. I've not lived there for 12 sure, years. Sure, sure. Exactly. You know, I do have to say, and this is the world's worst comic book uh, segue ever. Oh, I, oh, well, fe- let's I go. do feel like... Scotland, like some of the stuff that I've seen about Scotland makes me understand Mark Miller a lot and makes me wonder <laughs> about Grant Morrison that much more. You know what I mean? Uh, in what sense? Mark Miller has always made an incredible amount of sense to me coming from Scotland. Well, well I, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I, so why? Sense. I'm curious what has happened to make you say that, though. Um, I guess f- for me... Um, the part that I didn't understand a little bit would be that Mark Miller, the, the idea that Scotland is more liberal from than, than, you know, it claims than a lot of the UK and especially England, um, makes it easier for me to understand how Miller continues to position himself or talk about himself as if he is a liberal, I suppose, when in fact he is like kind of a hundred and ten percent what I think of as a conservative. Like he is Oh yeah. You I think that's a very common thing in Scotland in general. You have very conservative liberals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well 
but also more to the sense, and I apologize if this is, you know, overstating the case, but as a lying liar, it's very important for Mark Miller to continue to present as even a liberal liberal, I suppose, while basically sort of saying to everyone, oh, no, I'm a conservative liberal. And at the core of it, maybe actually being a conservative conservative, because a lot of I feel like a lot of times when Miller references like uh, thanks to the miracle of the, the Marvel Unlimited app, I was reading like an old issue of what the or whatever, you know, one of the what if humor <laughs> yeah. books yeah. that had. Um, I think it was the one where Jim Mafu did like a majority of the art for. Yeah, that was Waha, wasn't it? Uh, oh yeah, maybe it was Waha. And there's there's a strip in there where it's Mark Miller is like, what if the Punisher was a bleeding heart liberal, basically? And it was so clear that that strip was to me that was being written by someone who really like loved making fun of the British. You know, loved making heart of bleeding heart liberals in a way that was not especially bleeding heart liberal, I guess, if you know what I mean. So mm -hmm. I've always had a lot of just trouble justifying, trying to figure out where the hell Miller's stance is and essentially why people can't call him out on being like, I mean, you know, on this issue, at least openly talking out of both sides of his mouth. And I think that, the like you said, because of sort of the conservative, liberal nature of Scotland, it's actually a lot harder to sort of pin him down, I think, you know? Um, well, uh, part of me is like, it's not harder to pin him down because, mm -hmm. he, because he basically shows his position through his words and through his work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think where it gets really hard is that... It, I, I, and again, I'm, I may be hyper generalizing for not being there for a long time, mm -hmm. but I feel that Scots, uh, almost automatically identify as liberal and socialist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, even if they're not, like, even if they're demonstrably not, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, in part because the distrust slash outright hate mm -hmm. of conservatives, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. because conservative, just as an idea is incredibly demonized because mm -hmm. of the, the conservative party and because of what the conservative party has done to and meant for Scotland. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so you end up with this really skewed idea of what a liberal is and what a conservative is. Right. Right. Because, because even the language is, is messed up. Like I know people who are very conservative Mm -hmm. I, I should say people in Scotland who are very, very conservative. Mm -hmm. I would never describe themselves as conservatives. I would be morally offended mm -hmm. if you did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because conservative as a term has all these connotations of the Conservative Party and has all right. these connotations of Margaret Thatcher and, and all these things that are just horrifying. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so you're, you're like, your baseline is almost like, well, of course I'm liberal. I'm Scottish. Right, right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by it. The flip side of this is also the extent to which I wonder, uh, the, the flip side of it is the idea that Morrison by take, you know, taking an MBE, by accepting an MBE, what exactly that in a way, could mean, I think. You know, like, I thought it was 
you know, like, oh, it's kind of a loaded, you know, like it would be like if um, I sort of thought of it as as if like one of a, a liberal comic book writer artist, you know, got like a presidential citation, like under Reagan or something, you know, like Ted Rowell going or Art Spiegelman going and getting a commendation from from President Reagan or something. But realizing how much loaded the issue is with the Scots and the Brits, and especially since Morrison tends to lean very heavily on his father's uh, role as a no-nukes activist, mm-hmm. and therefore, mm-hmm. I think, you know, seen as being like a very, very, and you know, having this liberal light, I think it's a, it's a much more of a, um, a potentially troubling contradiction, I suppose, than what? I would have expected, I think. But do you not think that Morrison has, in a lot of ways, uh, meld out i guess from his his uh incredibly loudly declared countercultural stance as he's gotten older do you know, I feel he's he's very much embraced the the culture if that uh, makes sense right yeah i i don't i don't really no. I mean, because that's the thing that's hard to track is, is you know, if you go back 20 or 30 or 40 years, at least I feel like here in America, it's a pretty easy split between conservative and liberal because in so many cases, the conservatives tended to stick to, you know, especially once evangelical Christianity got involved, like in the, I guess, whatever it was, I think the early 70s, um, you know, there were a lot of there's a lot of social issues that one used to be able to define as conservative and liberal. And now it feels like that's like so much blurrier. Like in other words, for me, I'd be like, well, Morrison still spends a lot of time talking about the equality of all, you know, he seems to be, you know, definitely in his projects. There's a lot of stuff about making sure that people of color are, you know, paid attention and given their due, there's a strong sense identification with, you know, anarchists and romantics and outsiders. Um, and all of that stuff would have been very, very hard, I think, to resolve with, you know, a conservative background. But now I think it's like, I feel like the, all of that is much muddier. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, when you were saying that part of me is, it has a, a reaction of, well, why, like, are you not automatically assuming that you can't have those things and be conservative? Because that not then falling into a very specific understanding of what a conservative is? Well, like I said, it's a, it's a very outdated definition of what a conservative is. And I feel like over the last 20 or 30 years, one of the things that's been great in America is, is that a lot more of America, even when defining themselves as quote unquote conservative, have been at least as polled, if not as represented. Terrible. Yeah. What's that? I've maybe realized that racism is terrible. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot, and it's and there's a lot more. It's like yes, marriage equality rights for all, or yes, women's rights for all, and then we end up always being kind of surprised and appalled when the conservative politicians act like you know dickholes here in the United States. But you know, I I feel that the majority of the people across the country, I would say have moved to a more um, 
quote unquote liberal, you know, a more centrist view as far as personal values go, even as things have started to turn absolutely insane on a fiscal level, at least in regards to, say, taxation, especially. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah, no, yeah, so I guess what I'm saying is, is, yeah, having, for me, having grown up in the 70s, when you said conservative, there was a very specific picture, you know, that it, oh, yeah. not all You're, the way across I, the I, board. I know what a conservative is, is mm-hmm. sort of the response, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And now that that's more blurry, there is a way in which I do think that, um, Again, both Miller and Morrison have continued to confuse me, and there are ways in which their things like their uh, uh, Big Dave strips or something like that make, make a little more sense, I suppose, through this lens of like, oh, well, of course you're liberal, but of course, you know, that doesn't – you you define yourself as that completely separate from where, where some of your actual values lie. You know, I think I think I feel like that's at least very, you know, almost a flip flop of the way that I perceive the rest of the United States as being, I suppose, which may or may not be the case at all. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to political Wade Watch. <laughs> yes, which would honestly is would be a fine way if you want to segue into comics. We've got at least two Grant Morrison books to talk about. Ha, you do, Jeff. I've read nothing over these last two weeks. What? I, 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 I've read. I, I have read Multiversity. I've not read Annihilator, and it's killing me. Really? Killing me. Graham, you were too busy to get to the shop and pick up Annihilator. Yeah, I've been too busy to do anything. Oh like my I said, God. my mother-in-law's in town. No, I know. I'm aware. Uh, I'm I aware. have also been. This is no joke being the busiest in the last like couple of weeks that I've been all year mm-hmm. work-wise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time as my mother-in-law has been in town. Mm. Uh, I like absolutely not exaggerating. Last night was the first time I read comics in like a week and a half, just because we had to, to right. we just cause I were in the podcast today. Yeah. Wow. Wow. With the exception of the, the future sense stuff that I've been talking about on the, the website. Right. That That's it. Because mm. oh, the other thing is, I've also been a lot of my reading time has been going towards prose things I have to read for work. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. I've I've got the new Catlin Moran book. Really excited about that. Oh, good. I'm very glad for you. I know that you are a fan. Massive fan. I'm I'm hopefully doing an email thing with her for Playboy. Oh wow, that would be fantastic. Uh, okay. Well, so yeah. Then. So I I yeah. only read Multiversity is is what I I was going to say. I haven't read Annihilator. But tell me about Annihilator because I've seen lots of people talking about it and I'm super excited. So so make make me more excited, Jeff. Well, to me, the most exciting part about Annihilator, I guess there's three parts. Part the first part is the idea that that Morrison seems to whether this is just through serendipity there is a little bit of a, a yin and yang of what's currently on the market which I think I feel like is sometimes when Morrison's at his best you know that time when it's like you could pick up Justice League one week and pick up the Invisibles the next week mm-hmm. and the way to which the two of them mirror each other at least to me um, and perhaps this is a huge mistake the first issue of multiversity as laden with like oh no this is the worst thing ever like the you know the multiverse is you know under complete threat by you know the mysterious enemy um it mainly felt like a 
weird, you know, for a piece that appears to end on a cliffhanger, kind of an upbeat piece. You know what I mean? Yes, like it, very it, it, much. It, it was daring do. Yeah, yeah. So it's very much that idea of like you read it and it's very easy to sort of slot it into the sunny side of Grant Morrison, you know, and Annihilator is, you know, arguably the closer to the filth side, you know, it's, it, it's obsessive about disease and death and decay. I mean, there's a, you know, maybe, I guess maybe not so much disease, but there is very much the idea that the, this screenwriter race space who is trying to create a new screenplay for a, a you know amazing movie franchise um is the story that he's spinning about a, an anti-hero who's like imprisoned near the heart of a black hole and is trying to bring his dead girlfriend back to life um that there is a sort of theatrical romanticism running throughout the first issue of annihilator up until the point where the screenwriter himself finds out that, you know, as he's leading this decadent lifestyle in this classic haunted house and indulging in Hollywood orgies and um, finds out that he has an inoperable brain tumor. And so the spot that's on his brain is its own version of the sort of annihilator, the black hole at the center of our galaxy. That is also the prison of Max Nomax. So there's just a, there's a lot of, mm, but it's not so far anyway. It's a little more um, Bride of Frankenstein, Grant Morrison. You know what I mean? It's a mm -hmm. little more camp in its uh, romanticism. At least it feels like to me. Even even in its like the there's a there's a little more of that sort of. Um, kind of the wit that sort of moved through happy a little bit. There's a lot of, you know, people saying jokey things. And of course there is a way in which for me, you know, I think in a way I would have been perfectly happy with the, the Max Nomax story is very much diabolic by way of shade, the changing man sort of with like a Clive Barker-esque wrapper around it, you know? So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very excited by having all those influences kind of lodged together. And it's interesting the extent to which Morrison is very deliberately playing with, like, despite everything that, that he's saying, like, there's not the, the idea that this Max Nomax character, which at one point the agent is like, you know, we're counting on you. The studios are counting on you. They give you this big advance because they need their next tentpole character you know, character, like it felt like a weird, bad updating of the type of story that Morrison would have been writing 15, 20 years ago, where Ray space would have been a struggling comic book writer. And now they've made yeah. him like a struggling, he's made him very specifically a struggling screenwriter and either ignored or has deliberately underlined the idea that Hollywood really doesn't work this way. You know, one of the most amusing things for me about, Annihilator was reading it and being like, Grant Morrison really hasn't been, he says he's in LA doing screenwriting gigs, but I don't <laughs> think he knows what that means. Like I really was, I was like, has he ever taken a meeting with anyone, anyone ever, you know, or has he just gone and drank beers at, you know, like coyote with like, uh, 
you know, it's Robbie Williams. Let's be honest. Yeah, right. Exactly. Is it's like he and Joe Casey drinking margaritas and stumbling down to the Beverly New Beverly for like a, a shaft double feature, and then afterwards <laughs> being like, "Oh, hey, good news, everybody! You know, important <laughs> meeting about my new franchise." You know, it's really very suspect and almost adorably so. Um, so I really enjoyed it. It's a gorgeous comic. It is. It is so well, much Fraser amazing. Irving. Great Fraser Irving art. Yeah, just. I, I, Part of what Beautiful. I was going to say is, when you're talking about Bride of Frankenstein, mm-hmm. I find that Irving brings an element of that to every single thing he draws. Right. He can be drawing, like, what is theoretically the happiest book in the world. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it will become slightly disturbing. Yeah. Well, and sort of vice versa, too. This, the incredibly disturbing actually has a very strange camp note within it, too, don't you think? Yes. Yeah, but I think the Morrison has that within his work. For example, when you were talking about you know the various tones in it, you Mm -hmm. remind me very much of his Frankenstein book when he was doing Seven Soldiers, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which has an element of uh, over the top horror to the point where it crosses over and becomes comedy again. Mm -hmm. Thinking about the the issue in the is it the first issue in the high school? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, he he takes the he essentially does carry. And I, I think that he does, you know, do you know what I mean? He, he does, he has that within his, his own work. Yes. But then paired with Fraser Irving. Right. It seems like, well, that's, of course, that's what they're going to do. Right. Because they both have this tendency towards horror that is grimly amusing and self-defeating in some way. Self-defeating, yeah. uh, intentionally. So mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. not as in like they're undercutting their own purpose, but part of their purpose is, to go, it's scary, but it's not, but it kind of is. Right. Exactly. Exactly. There's the, the sort of a bizarre Tim Burton-esque positioning, I suppose, in some ways, you know. And I think that there, uh, we'll we'll see where the issues go. I mean, in a way, it it's kind of absurdly over the top, and then it sort of ends on, I feel like, you know, Halfway between, you know, it goes from a grim note to kind of back to the ridiculous in a way. So, mm-hmm. I I really enjoyed it. I um, I, I'm very much looking forward to it. something I think it's going to remind me of, and something I want to reread mm-hmm. before I, I dive into it. Which hopefully over this weekend, cross fingers, um, is Flex Mentello. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that that is the easiest. Um, sort of way what with the alternate identities and the the dual narratives and and what have you i think that that makes uh that makes a lot of sense the interacting of the fictive with the metafictive i don't know in some ways it makes me wish but, that but I also stuck it morris, out with, yeah morris as or rather the, the writer character or the creative character as morrison analog yes working working through his own anxieties right through through like in so it's, it becomes meta meta fiction mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this one is interesting. This one is interesting. For whatever reason, I could be wrong. Annihilator feels like it is more of... It's almost more of Morrison's camp take on that. But we'll see, we'll see what happens. I mean, we'll definitely see where it goes. That could be me completely over-reading the tone or being completely... Um, uh, uh, over, uh, ungenerous in the wrong way, I suppose. But so we'll see. I like that three ninety nine. If nothing else, just the art alone is gorgeous. But I think it's really will be fun to see where he's going to end up going with it. Um, so I take it you. So you have read 
multiversity society of superheroes. Yes. Yeah. And you did think that that was, you quite liked it, right? I, I really liked it. Again, bear in mind that I, my context for that was also reading the Future's End books from DC this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, you, I, I, it's one of those books that I liked. I read the Future's End books. I then reread Multiversity, and I was like, oh, I like it a lot more. And I don't know if I liked it a lot more because second reading was good. Like, right. I needed a second reading. Or because I had, like, my curve had just been completely killed mm-hmm. by reading Future's End books, which this week in particular I thought were really weak. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, you mentioned, which I thought, uh, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I, well, so, hmm. Does that mean that you thought that the on your first reading that Society of Superheroes was strong and became much stronger? Or no, I thought that on first read, I thought it was enjoyable but very light. Yeah, right. Um, and then on second read, I felt that there was more to it. But mm-hmm. definitely on first read, it was oh, it's Grant's doing his pastiche stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, doing it fine, mm-hmm. but I was a bit too aware of the, oh, he's lifted this from here and he's lifted this from here and he's lifted this from here. The only moments of genuine, aha, I had mm-hmm. uh, on first street where uh, Abensur is Green Lantern mm-hmm. and uh, the Blackhawks. Sorry, and also um, Anthro also being Immortal Man, but that's com- like that's completely continuity porny. Mm-hmm. Well, Do you know I, what I mean? Like right. that's a really smart idea, but it's a smart idea that only works if you know Anthro and Immortal Man. Yes, yeah, I suppose I suppose that's true. I I I mean, hmm. one of the things that I think is fascinating about multiversity, particularly as embodied in Society of Superheroes is that in a way, although he presents it otherwise, um, it feels like it is, it's, it's operating at two different cross purposes. Like you're supposed to believe that this is a, you know, one reality's other comic book, you know, complete with a way to sort of remix and rematch and reappropriate various superheroes, um, in a way of redoing them. Like, I, how do I put it? There's a way in which I was like, oh, okay, as one issue of a comic book, it seemed especially interesting. But if it had been like the first issue of a new 52 book, you know, not written by Grant Morrison, you know, and this had been just a new 52 Justice Society number one or something, there's a way in which I would have been like, okay, tell me more Dot, dot, yeah, dot, no, you no, know? sure. If, yeah, if the if it wasn't part of multiversity, mm-hmm. you there is this element of well, that's cute, right? Exactly, exactly. That's cute, and there there may be. I'm sure that this is probably where um, you know my particular neural pathway gets clogged. But especially with Chris Sprouse doing the art on it, in a way, it's kind of got the same it's cute reaction that I got from Alan Moore's ABC line. You know, except there's going to be more than one title. There was more than one title in each of those books in the ABC line. You know what I mean? Like the Mm -hmm. idea that we're not going to necessarily have a next issue here, that what we're seeing is sort of a a super compressed version of what he did in Seven Soldiers, maybe, where, you know, by the time we get to the end, we can see the way that all the pieces sort of reflect on each other. Um, And 
and a well, way in which a certain am- amount of thematic concerns, I suppose, gain weight across the issues. But it's not really like my emotional investment in this version of the atom is really going to pay off, I suspect, you know? Sure, I, I, I agree. What I think came through to me more on the second read, mm-hmm. and, and one of the reasons why I think that it's not just, well, Future's Handbook sucks and therefore this seems better in comparison, mm-hmm. is that there was more of... Like you said about the first issue, the first issue was meant to be the, oh, God, everything is fucked. Mm-hmm. But you came out of it being like, hey, right, you know, Calvin Ellis, Captain Card, this mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, on second read, this book completely was a downer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On, on, first, on first read, it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And then on second read, right. I, I really left it being like, oh, it is. It's just a downer. Yeah. It's a... Everyone does their best and they're fucked. Well, everyone does their best and they're fucked. But I also think, and this is where it's almost like it's harder for me to have an opinion about it until more of the multiversity issues oh, sure. sort of by, come across, right? By the end right? of the series, yeah. they will not be fucked. It's right. Grant Morrison and the superheroes. Like well, that, that. right. Yes. But I guess what I mean is, is they're fucked in part, not just because they did their best, but because of the the extent to which they compromise their values. You know, I think, well, right? And also the larger Grant Morrison narrative demands that they be fucked at this point. Sure. Well, yes. you know what I mean, like, right. like that is difficult to, to shake that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, right. but nonetheless, there's a, there really was a, a more of a downer, and it 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 had a very different tone on the mm-hmm. second read through. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that I appreciated more. Interesting. And, and again, I I don't think that's entirely down to just. You know, oh yeah, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I also can't say that it's completely untouched mm-hmm. by reading future science books. Right, right. No, that's that's worth worth uh, worth hearing. I'm very glad to hear it because, of course, I finished I finished it. And I was like, it's great, but or rather, <laughs> it's like super okay, but yeah, and I really I found like myself that. Uh huh. Right. Exactly. Dot, dot, dot. However, yeah. So there, there was a certain amount of it where um, it's you know it is funny how these things work. There, there are times when it's it's like uh, you know the the master plan behind multiversity being partially uncovered brings a lot of excitement to the project for me. But there is a little bit of the on an issue by issue basis for something like this. It really does sort of threaten to be like. Mm, you you know what I mean? Like it it the individual uh, accomplishments uh, risk falling short under the the massive ambitiousness well, much, of the whole there, overtaking. There's very much a sense of I don't even know what to feel about this because I am hyper aware this is one eighth of the larger story. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I don't know. Who knows? Maybe in the sense of Grant Morrison trying to create a criticism proof comic book this may be an enormous step forward in a way you know <laughs> i don't think that's what he's, he's finally doing, done it you. he's finally done it there's just no way we can be like well i sure okay yes <laughs> on to the next but um but there was a lot of having said all that i did think that it was really i enjoyed uh the pastichiness of the book you know it seemed mm-hmm. it seemed interesting to me that especially in a time where not dc keeps trying but i feel like there's a lot of you know neo pulp out 
there in in the comic book marketplace these days. So seeing Morrison sort of ta- have his take on it and how he handled um how he handled it uh was was really interesting. And there is a way in which for me the the idea that he's just kind of being like, yeah, I mean, you know, Doc Fate, why don't we just do Doc Fate like this? And me kind of looking at it being like yeah, why don't we do Doc Fate like this? You know, why not do a Doc Savage version of Doc Fate and and sort of mix things up, you know, a little bit more um, because wherever they're going with Doctor Fate just seems not that I'm paying attention. Really, frankly, is Doctor Fate in the new Fifty Two? Yes, he's in the 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 Earth Two series. Oh, he is. Which means, of course, he'll end up in Earth One, but they destroy Earth Two because of all the crossovers and shit. There's that's going to happen next year. It's like I am a massive fan of the DC mythology, and I can't tell you how exhausted and over all of the big crossovers <laughs> next year I am already. <laughs> it's hilarious. Like you know how much I love the Fourth World. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how much I am completely bored with the Dark Side War already, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it doesn't happen until like mid next year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's um I don't know. It's, uh, certainly DC has its its hands full. I do have to say I picked up Futures End uh the new 52 Batman uh from last week based on the stuff that you were saying Graham and I I am glad I did. I'm glad I did. It's kind of great, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a very very fun little read. Uh I that's partially why I was so disappointed by Batman and Robin this week. Mm. Because it's also by Ray Fox and I was like, okay, I'm mm. totally ready. You gave me like nuts kind of comic, like, like you know, funny comic mm-hmm. Batman last week, you know, over the top science fiction. I want more of that. And the Batman Robin issue is not that. Right. Right. And so I was like, oh, okay then. So this is, this is pretty much just like Batman and Robin. Okay. Well, Batman and Robin, do you feel like the idea was that he sort of felt that is is there a difference? Do you think between the Batman and Batman and Robin books that he that Fox felt obliged to follow, or that of course the editors wanted him to follow? Like, do you think that teaches uh, you something uh, about what they what the Batman and Robin title is supposed to be in a way? I think it teaches me more about what the Batman title is, mm-hmm. uh, because the Batman future's end one shot seemed to me very much in keeping with what Snyder and Capullo have done with that title, mm-hmm. which is make it very over the top, mm-hmm. um, both in terms of its glee in both embracing and refuting the grim Batman, mm-hmm. you know, mythology, but also visually, visually it's, it's, it's an incredible, uh, break from Batman tradition. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's much bigger. It's much more colorful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, and a lot of that is down to, I cannot even vaguely remember the colorist's name. What's the colorist's oh, name? Uh, FCO Placentia. FC, mm-hmm. Yes, FCO Placentia, I think, is an, an integral part of Batman, mm-hmm. the title, mm-hmm. because the colors are so bright. Because You you know, you get these, these color palettes that are just... Because when you think of Batman, especially if you read Batman through, like, the 90s, mm-hmm. And, and the early 2000s. You're thinking really strained colors. Mm-hmm. You're thinking a very limited palette. You're thinking, you know, grays and browns. Mm-hmm. You know, some blues, but they're going to be some very subdued blues. Mm-hmm. And then you have Placencia coming in. He's like, hey, 
fucking acid green. Right. right. You know, purple. Here's a sky. It's bright red. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, and so when you get to the future's end, Batman thing, you've got that happening again, but it's in the science fiction context where it totally makes sense. You're like, science fiction, bright, shiny, spectacular. Right. Right. Uh, and so when you get, when you then go from that to the Batman and Robin issue, mm-hmm. I think what you have is almost an admission that Batman and Robin as a series is much more conservative in, when it comes to the Batman mythos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's much more of a, we're playing it, like we're downplaying it a bit. You know, we're, we're playing a bit safer. Right. Right. Which is interesting because I, uh, it's a shame because I think one of, to me, the appeal that keeps me coming back to Batman and Robin in picking it up is the art that's done by, uh, is it, is it Patrick Gleason? But yeah, Pat Gleason. Thanks. I was, I had this horrible feeling like, no, that's an actor. Damn it. Um, Jackie Gleason. (laughs) (laughs) No, but, but I, I don't get me wrong. I love Gleason's art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I love what Tomasi's been doing with writing as well. But it's much more Batman as we know him, Batman. Maybe slightly impacted by the Morrison Batman, who was slightly larger. Right. But I, I think that what Snyder and Capullo have done is, is just taking that much further. I think they've, they've gone more towards a pop art Batman. Uh, well, I agree. Although I think, I, for me, I guess what I'm saying is, is that I feel that Gleason's art is part of what keeps Batman and Robin a very off kilter book. In that his art is, I, I feel like Tomasi. If you put a different artist on that book, like someone like I don't know Patrick Zercher or something like that, it would seem like the book that you're describing. But one of the things that I find amazing about about Gleason's work is the way that it is so. Um, I don't know, you know, uh, it deals in grotesquerie, I suppose, you know, it's, it's got a sort of vision of the lovely and the grotesque that is itself kind of, uh, decadent, I suppose that, that sort of lifts the material. So I can kind of see in a way in which if you take him out of the equation, like the, I could see where Batman and Robin, the, the future's end, like you know what I mean? Like, even if it's the script is the same, like it, it really is down to the art choice is what you're saying. Who did the, who yeah. did the art on Batman and Robin? Do you know? Do you remember offhand? Uh, let me try and find the book. It is done by, oh, Dustin, Dustin Gwynn. Oh, interesting. Okay. Hmm. And it, it's, I'd say it's kind of disappointing Dustin Gwynn. Mm. Uh, I've, I've seen him do a lot better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, well. You know, I'm like, ah, the new 52 where people just have so many, you know, uh, hurdles to clear in order to do their best work. Well, yeah, th- there is, yeah, there is a certain element of, I do wonder how long he had to do that issue. Exactly. Exactly. You yeah. know, where you're like, mm-hmm. I wonder if he was given that and he was like, okay, you put two weeks. Right. And it's a shame because I feel that Fox really wrote it as a showcase for the art. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of silent panels. There's a lot of like, it's a fight scene and here's like 20 panels to a page, right. which you feel should just be like, wow. Right. Right. And instead you're like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I have to say that's, that's, that's disappointing news, but of course I'm sort of relieved that I didn't pick it up. Um, I'm, I'm relieved that you're not telling me something that's going to make me go pick it up. So, <laughs> but I will tell you this, Jeff, I almost feel that you should pick up the Batwoman comic because it's so incredibly bad. Wow. Yeah. After reading your description of oh, it, I did oh, kind of have that. It's one. so bad. Mm. It's so bad. It is amazing. 
Now, who's who's who did it? Who's on it? Mark, Mark Andreco. Uh-huh. Uh, who, who's, who's the writing? regular Batwoman writer, yeah? Yes. Mm-hmm. And an artist called Jason Masters, whose name sounds familiar, and I couldn't tell you why. Mm. But it is it is honestly like they went to Mark and Draco, do you want to write like a parody of a 1990s X-Men comic? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, do I? Boy, I, do I. I. <laughs> I've been waiting all my career for this. Wow. Because it's, that's honestly what it reads like. It's amazing. So the plot is this. Mm-hmm. The sister, Alice, from the, the Greg Rucker run, mm-hmm. who was revealed at some point, I can't remember if it was in the Rucker run or in the Williams run, to be Kate Kane's sister. Uh, I think that that's the, that's the denouement in the, in the first Rucker piece. Yeah, right? I, I, could, I honestly couldn't remember where, where it comes from. Yeah, it but does. Anyway, like she she dies it. at some point. Right. Uh, but she's back to life in this, and she's the good guy. Because Batwoman's become an evil vampire. <laughs> right? So it's honestly uh, lots of narration from the sister being mm-hmm. like, God damn it, Kate, you brought me back from the brink. Why can't I do the same for you? <laughs> like, you know, they they fight and the, the, like Batwoman all but does the... You don't understand how good it feels to be evil speech. Wow. Uh, she kills Etrigan the demon. There is a hint that at some point, like, she formed a, like, a supernatural super team <laughs> with Etrigan the demon and Ragman. Wow. It's just, it's terrible. It's terrible. So bad. Uh, and I'm not ruining anything by saying that the end of the issue, uh, features the sister killing, but, uh, staking Batwoman. Mm-hmm. So that she dies, uh, and features Batwoman, a full page, a full page panel, saying, mm-hmm. "What have you done?" and dying, and then it's a a page of the sister looking at her ashes before going goodbye, Kate. Oh damn it! I was so hoping that you were going to say that it would be that thing of like. After having killed her sister, you get like Alice walking and of course it's the sunrise of a new day and you see like the sort of, you know, diaphanous silhouette of Batwoman smiling so you know that she's at peace and maybe there's an editorial note that feels like she's at peace and you know that the right thing was done and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of that's, bad. That's actually, you, want, you really do want like full on Claremont, full on 70s Claremont. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell. I'm just like, yeah, that'd be perfect. Oh my god. Uh, yeah. Wow. I amazing. Yeah, ah. it's such a bad book. It's such a bad book, Jeff. It's really, really like it's kind of beautiful in how bad it is. Mm-hmm. It, it's because you know the other future science books that I read have veered from like you know surprisingly good to eh. That right. is like the first actively bad one. Right, where you were just like, like Jesus, and it's no. so bad. I'd like, maybe it sucked all the bad from mm-hmm. the other books. And so the other <laughs> books are all like, border like, okay, because this book is so bad. It was like, nope, I'll take it all on me, guys. Oh, see, here we go. This is the next stage in Grant Morrison metacomics is like having comic books about comic book creators. And you have a line called, you know, there, there's like a title called the scapegoat and it's just it's the one title that is designated to suck um and it you know it mystically absorbs all the crap out of all the other superhero books you know um and and so it's that classic like everyone's like why is this book still being published and they don't understand it's part of a complex magical formula to keep all the rest of the books from sucking that much less 
<laughs> Bad Woman is the perfect example of that. Book, wow. Well, but I, I mean, so say. at the same time, you've got like the Wonder Woman and Superman Wonder Woman uh, two for this week, right? Which, Which is, sounded kind of tempting, but not not quite tempting uh, enough. Yeah, it shouldn't sound tempting enough. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because it's really weird. It feels like it's in one sense Charles Sewell's big statement on Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, as I said in the, on Wait What, uh, really has the problem of violently rejecting what Azrael and Chang have done with the character. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I, I think I think is really a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because Azrael and Chang's last issue comes out next month. Right. Like, he couldn't even do that. He couldn't even wait to go, no, you guys, <laughs> until they were done, which is kind of amazing to me. Right. Um I mean, do you want me to spoil it? Do you want me to say sure. like, yeah, what please. Mm-hmm. So, um, some of it is obviously based in like mythology of the series. That I just don't get. Uh, but it, the story is basically Wonder Woman is fighting a war with various soldiers from throughout time, and they're fighting against Nemesis. And it's never quite explained who or what Nemesis is throughout the entire thing. But Nemesis has the power to uh, impact reality, and Nemesis basically tricks Wonder Woman into really taking on the mantle of the God of War. Mm -hmm. Only for Superman of four years previously, so that's one year from current continuity, but not Superman from Future's End, because, you know, that would have been simple. Uh, Then appears, and is like, no, you can't become the God of War. And the, the story ends with her winning by going, no, I'm the God of Peace. Hmm. Which is, you know, both interesting mm-hmm. and really does step in what Azrael and Chang are doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's like a lot of Soul's work. Uh, there is interest in there. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's ideas, and and they might not be completely worked through, mm-hmm. but they're definitely there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I appreciate that. But there's also just I don't know. It it it's it didn't quite work out, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, uh, I believe it. I mean, I've, it sounds it sounds both interesting and also kind of, um, yeah, inert, I suppose. It's one of the things that I find really f- sad or frustrating about the way that Wonder Woman sometimes sometimes gets handled, which is this idea of like, oh, yeah, 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 just, you know, we're so happy to have you on the book. Just do your own take, you know. It's like, great, I've got my own take that ignores what happened in all the other previous continuity. Well, yeah, perfect, perfect. That's, that's really the problem with Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Every single, every single creature mm-hmm. is like, everything you know is wrong. Right, exactly. And and the problem with that is there's no, there's no basic Wonder Woman anymore. Every yeah. creator will come on and be like, oh, you know what? Mm-hmm. Say goodbye to the Amazons. Mm-hmm. You've never seen Wonder Woman solo before, unless you're reading The ra- Last Writer. <laughs> you know? Right. And Wonder Woman always acts as if this has never happened as well. Like, you never have Wonder Woman being like, oh, right. fuck's sake, Jesus, yeah. really? Yeah. I've got to get the Amazons back here. This literally <laughs> happened last Tuesday. Instead, she's like, how will I live without my sisters? Right. Yeah, exactly. My yeah. mother is gone. <laughs> Yeah, my mother is gone. That's like a that's a note they love hitting with the old Wonder Woman stories. Yeah, it's it's a shame. Um hmm. Oh that that oh, 
that yes. also makes me think you you read the Avengers issues, right? Oh yeah, I was going to say. Okay. I part of me was we like, this would be a great way to talk the about the yeah. Avengers. Yeah. Uh, okay, let, should we run through the other future end books really super quickly? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Once you, um, you so you read what other ones have you read? Did you read other, any other ones that I haven't read? No, in fact, I I honestly I haven't read. Um, I'll give you a super quick rundown. Is like I read. No, I can't mention that. No, because I did this column where I'm like, yeah, screw you, Teen Dog, is what I should have called the column. But this week I didn't pick up much. <laughs> I I will say, let me let me do say that for those who don't follow Twitter, uh, I had a really interesting experience yesterday. Um, and yes, I know I had an ill-timed burp there. Thank you, Graham. So <laughs> I. Yeah. You can edit it out. You had a really come on, Jeff. Yes, yeah, no, I, I really, I, I managed to mute it. So, anyway, so yesterday, you can hear me, okay? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so you were so quiet. I'm like, shit. Now I've gone dead. Crap. No, I want you to say the story. <laughs> so, so the story. Yes, right. Yesterday, uh, I got, the, I had the opportunity to go on a play date with both of my nieces at once, which is. Oh both... my god! How are you still awake today? I. I don't know. I don't know. I honestly have no idea. They kicked my ass from one side of the park to the next. Um, and one Possibly of the things, literally annoying your nieces. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so I go over to Oakland. We pick up our nieces. We decide to go to Piedmont uh, Park, which may not necessarily mean much, except for the small number of whatnots who have lived in or are living in Oakland. And it's a kind of a great little playground. June, of course, wants to play superheroes like we usually do when we go to the playground. Unfortunately, baby Ray, I shouldn't say baby, uh, my niece Ray, who's like two, just uh, not quite two and a half, basically likes running around with us and doing other things. So, but is, you know, mainly kind of in a, um, is not necessarily quite as tuned into the focal point of things. Whereas June, who's like, you know, four and a half now, is very much like, let's play superheroes. I'm Wonder Woman, you're Superman, we're in our secret identities, that building's on fire, go. You know, that kind of thing. So, you know, we jump off of our little rock and change into our costumes, which fortunately is all imaginary. My, you know, niece is no longer actually being like, hold on, and spends five minutes pulling on her tights and stuff. But, so, we spend all this time running around, like, yelling out superhero names and things like that. And, of course, there's other people on in the playground <laughs> with their very small kids. And usually most of the very small kids are like, oh, I can't, you know, wait to, like, join these people running around screaming because, you know, maybe I, too, can actually punch a grown man in the nuts just like that little girl over there is doing, you know. And so... um so this one kid sort of joins us, and it's as we're trying to leave, there's weirdly two playgrounds at this park, both of which are um, fenced in. So we're leaving through the gate to go to the next one, and this kid decides he's going to go for it, and his father's nowhere nearby. So we're kind of holding him, and he's like, no, no, let me go, let me go. And I'm like, it looks like I am now trying to kidnap a, a very, you know, sweet and adorable, you know, Asian-American <laughs> child, which is not like the best image that you want to be putting out at a playground and the dad comes over to, to pick up the child and and is like oh here he's he's quite a little runner and i'm like oh great thanks and i look at the guy and i swear to god in my head because i didn't say it out loud i'm like son of a bitch that's jason shiga the cartoonist it, it is 
the weirdest <laughs> miracle of all that I recognized him. I mean, because he was he was in Derek Kirk Kim's really funny web series, uh, which I'll have to throw into the show notes that I enjoyed watching. And on it, Jason yeah, no, Chiga pops up. Yeah, that exactly. Was really funny. Yeah, and um, Jason Chiga pops up as Jason Chiga, and he's such a type that I was like. Oh my God, is it really him? And so I'm trying to figure out a way to actually say to him, hello, are you acclaimed indie, indie cartoonist, Jason Chiga? I'm a big fan sort of thing. So I also had this weird moment where it's like, here is an, an award-winning cartoonist right there playing quietly with his kid while meanwhile, like I'm running around with my niece and she's like, Superman over there, fire zombies, you know, kind of thing. Um, and at one point when I was playing with her, Jason had started talking to another parent. And he's like, yeah, that's why I really love cartooning. I'm like, son of a bitch. I knew it was him. Ugh. So at the end of the day, the day, like the two hours before where I just leave, like completely bruised and broken. And we're like going to go take the girls and, and get them a, a muffin at a, at a Pete's coffee. And we ended up going to the comic book store after that, interestingly enough, too. Um and there was Jason Shiga. Yeah, that would have been great, right? Uh, so I, I approach him and I'm like, I'm like, excuse me, are you Jason Shiga? And it was great. He did this such an amazing, like, full on, like, what? What? Yeah, he's like, yes. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm a big fan. And he couldn't have been sweeter about it. And I was like, yeah, I just wanted to say I, I'm behind on Demon, but I really loved, uh, you know, Meanwhile and Book Hunter and... He's like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, my God, that's so great. And I'm like, and you just won an award, right? I, I said, I'm really bad. Is Was it a Harvey? He's like, oh, it was an Ignatz Award. And I'm like, oh, right, the Ignatz Award. Yeah. And he's like, I have a really funny story about that. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, it's, you know, the Ignatz Award is, and I guess they give that out. That's at SPX, right? Is that yes, the, yeah. yeah. So for those not in the know. The Ignatz is an, an indie cartooning award that they give at the small press expo uh, out in, for, is it in Vermont, Virginia, just D.C.? Where, uh, do you know where it is? Didn't they move it? No, it's still in Maryland, isn't it? It, it, it must be. Yeah, it's still in Maryland. Okay. It's still in Bethesda, isn't it? Yeah, Bethesda. Now, sure. you, now you've got me looking it up. Yeah. You, yeah, North Bethesda. Yeah, yeah Bethesda, Bethesda, Maryland. In yeah. suburban Washington, right? So he's he's in Washington. And uh, he's like, yeah, so they give you the Ignats. And, of course, because it's, you know, named after the, the brick-throwing mouse in Crazy Cat, he's like, yeah, the award, the Ignats Award is just a brick. It's literally, it's like a brick on a piece of wood. And so he's like, I got the award. I had one more day in Washington. So he's like, I wanted to go down to the Smithsonian to, to like, go and check out more of the art. So I'm there, and I have to go through the security line, and the guard, like, opens up my bag, and he pulls out this brick, and he's like, what the hell is this? And <laughs> Jason Chiga's like, it's a cartooning award? You know, which sounds so, like, such a weird, surreal, made-up lie, but is actually true. I didn't realize Ignat's an actual brick. And he's like, you can't bring that in here, you know? And he's like, so he's like, I went out with my bag and I took took my brick and board out of my bag and I like stuck it in some bushes and I went back into the Smithsonian all day. 
And I was like, oh, my God, you you had to hide your Ignatz Award in the bushes so you could get into this museum? He's like, yeah. I'm like, weren't you afraid that some – what if someone had someone taken it? Someone would take it, yeah. He's like, I would just go to Home Depot and buy another brick, you know? <laughs> Oh my god, that's great! Isn't that great? So that is anyway, such a great story. Jason Shiga, pretty awesome guy to tell that story on the playground. So I went and got Demon uh, Number One. That's a, that's a book that I read that I picked up yesterday. Uh, I picked up Sirens Number One by George Perez, which probably will not win him and Ignatz. Uh, that was really interesting in a way because it's like it's. <laughs> It's, I don't know how to describe it still. Like, I, it is the most wordy, panelly. Like, George Perez is still as obsessive compulsive about his detail as ever, but his line is getting a lot cloudier, for lack of a better term. He's, oh, really? It's interesting. You should really look at Sirens Number One the next time you're in a store ground. Just flip through it. Because one of the things that weirds me out is his. I swear to God, because Sirens, one of the great things about it is it's an all-female heroes book about a bunch of female heroes through time. I mean, it's it's really... I, I, I'm going to be honest. That's why I had absolutely no interest in Sirens. Uh, which part? The fact that it's... I, I totally imagine... You hate being, women? Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. I totally <laughs> imagine it being uh, George Perez's, like fetish fantasies well okay so here's the, the comic thing. do you well, know what i mean yeah but i mean george perez is one of those guys that's really interesting in a way because although not nearly at the level that claremont did um he is a guy for whom arguably like him and and, and wonder woman creator charles moulton their very specific fetishes actually led to the creation of characters that were able to transcend those fetishes. You know what I mean? Okay. Who's Perez's? Well, I feel that, well, see, and this is it. I feel that the, not, not so much for me, but I do think that Perez's run on Wonder Woman cemented a certain conception of two-fisted goddess Wonder Woman that I think still sort of runs through there, you know, very much that moving the the idea. Oh, of sure, sure, the, yeah, yeah. It, she she became the warrior princess. Yeah, she's very yeah. much the warrior princess, and I think from from what I can tell, like Perez's fetishes tend to fall on sort of the female warrior side of things. And honestly, there is a weird way in which Sirens is a. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I guess if you took, if you took, it's a little bit like Cloud Atlas meets Xena Warrior Princess. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> not. Fair. Sounds like a great pitch for a movie. Doesn't it? I mean, it really, and there's some things that I think Perez, honestly, if you look at it, Perez put a lot of work into this idea of this sort of race of, well, it's not really a race, a group of immortal heroines who you see them throughout time and they're all sort of summoned to what we think of as the future but this sort of um you know science fiction star ship based conflict in the future but you see all these heroes at various periods throughout history and he really does move it from like 
two page introduction with a lot of fighting and punching to the next two page introduction with a dramatic conflict and the next two page conflict. I mean, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot. He puts in a tremendous amount of work to it, but the thing that really weirded me out, which is like the world's most superficial uh, reaction to somebody is actually taking all this time and sweat and tears and whatever else he lost that he had to have surgically replaced. Um, it's, his women look a lot like the way Howard Chaikin draws women now, which is really strange to me. Like, you, you know that sort of, str- like, sort of weird... S- scribbly line? Scribbly line, but sort of that weird sort of, like, apple-cheeked look with kind of a, you know, with sort of a weird turned-up nose thing that, that Chaikin does. It seems mm-hmm. like he's doing on his women. That's the way that Perez is drawing a lot of his women in close-up now, too. So... So it's very strange. It's so somewhere, very strange. somewhere is, there's like one woman who looks just like that who goes to Comic Cons. Yes, and like Perez and Jake and all these like older artists are seeing her and being like, "Holy mother of God!" <laughs> Maybe I'm putting hard my dad's comic. Uh, holy smokes! Just it's if there was one thing that we wanted, it was like a little more Laura Ingalls Wilder in our like future space barbarian warriors, you know? Because it really does. It always you know what's funny when you say that like space barbarian warriors. It just makes me think, wow, there's a certain generation of artists whose work hasn't really progressed beyond the 70s. Because that strikes me as an incredibly 70s idea. Yes. Well, you know, honestly, I have to say, and maybe this will also help us, you know, something to to be uh, bookmarked and, and return to later when we talk about the Avengers. It's a weird taste that moves into at least the early 80s, doesn't it? I mean... Uh, let, let's let's talk about Avengers because okay. Avengers. <sighs> oh, this, so before we do, sorry, anyway. sorry, before we do, I have to mention Jason Shiga's Demon Number One. I picked it up after talking to Jason Shiga. Uh, like I said, I've been meaning to. I read name it. Name drop. Name drop. I just had to say I had to pick up. The I ran into. Well, because I told that huge long story, the least I can do is tell people why I brought it up apart from name dropping, which is I also picked up a book of his yesterday very specifically for it. Demon, people should look for it. I'll have a link to it because I believe uh, he is serializing it through Patreon. So anyway, yes, back to Avengers. Yeah, so this 25 issue run of Avengers. Yes. So issues one through, uh, sorry, issues 201 through issues 225. Holy mother of crap. I think we've hit the, the bottom of the barrel, right? Oh, man. Oh, man. I mean, man. Just think, I think we have, we have ragged on Roy Thomas before, but Roy Thomas never handed it anything like these 25 issues. Yeah, it is true. Although the sad part is you can see a way in which some of these issues are being written by people who were fans of Roy Thomas's like the oh, stuff sure, that we sure. had no interest in. They were like, "Oh my god, that's exactly what Avengers should be." Yeah, but reading this, it made me realize Avengers is actually a book that has more often than not been a bad book. Yes, yeah, I think and so. It's good. It's great. But yeah. more often than not, historically, Avengers has been a bad comic. Yeah. In in fact, I think that those people who sort of lightly chastised us for not really digging Avengers 175 through 200 because they remember it fondly. I can see how you would remember 175 through 200 very fondly once you got through 201 through 225, you know? Because holy mother of crap. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It felt like reading, I don't know, like 
out of two, 25 issues, it felt like reading 18 issues of fill-in, maybe, I think. Yeah, it's it's amazing. What is genuinely amazing is the churn of talent and oh, yeah. the fact that... I mean, at one point you have, in what, 205 or something? You have mm-hmm. a letters page going, I'm Bill Mantlo and I'm going to be your new writer. In, in 206. Four issues. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. In and two- then, like, mm-hmm. he doesn't appear for, like, another four issues. Then when he appears... Jeffy writes one issue. I know. I was one issue, and then he's gone. He's gone, and then Shooter comes back. I lost my shit over that. I was like, man, whatever Rocket Raccoon money that they're paying, they got to sprinkle a little bit of Jim, Jim Shooter robbed me gimmies on the side. You know what I mean? Just enough so that Bill Mantlo can get like an extra like Hershey bar out of the the hallway dispensing machine or something. Because holy fucking shit. 206, Mantlo not only writes that issue, which admittedly, how do I put it? It actually has a certain amount of snap compared to the previous two issues or so before it, I thought. You know, it was like, oh, these characters are all characters. I thought Mantlo's two issues of Avengers were actually really kind of good. Yeah, I thought so too. All things considered. All things considered. Because, I mean, 206 is the one where it's, I mean, they're both, they're really very similar issues in a way. Because 206 is the one where it's like... Pyron, the Pyronic Man, and it's basically the Avengers looking at this huge onslaught of fire and being like, well, we're kind of boned. And then there's the return, of, there's the debut there's the, of the, the Weathermen. Yeah. Well, oh, the weather, which is one of my favorite terrible comics. Oh, I man. read this as a kid. Oh, really? Uh, I, I want to say it was reprinted in like the British Spider-Man comic. Right. Um, but it was split across two issues. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't realize how many, t- until I read this issue again. Yes! <laughs> How many times that basically he plays the same scene? Yeah, it's like, like the same three pages <laughs> over and over and over again. And I was like, kind of amazing. Yeah, it's really like it's really wonderful because mm-hmm. he has the character coming in. and He's like, you know, you know, introductory dialogue. Here is a statement to end in a weatherman. I love that. So speaks the weatherman. Like each one of them. Gets their Not own Stanley ass. A weatherman. Yeah, exactly. When they claimed by a weatherman, <laughs> the only fit for those who would defy a weatherman. Exactly. But I mean, here's it, the thing, and yeah. I don't know if you noticed. Hmm? Every time he does that panel, mm-hmm. it gets smaller in the page. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Like he's he's completely aware that it's the repetition, and he's completely playing with the repetition. Yes. Because every single time he does that introduction, that panel gets smaller in the page. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, that maybe it's Colin, I think, doing it. Or who knows? Maybe Mantlo specified that in the script. But... Well, whoever is responsible for it, it's actually a really nice touch because yeah. someone is very aware that it is the same scene playing over and over and over again. Right. And I think there are ways. And again, I think Colin also does another way of like, because he chooses the way that the, the character, the Weatherman character is coming right at the reader like each time, too. So he really does state play that up. Um, yeah, it's a weird issue in the sense of like, I was reading, I'm like, Oh God, this is just another terrible issue. And by the time I got to the end, I'm like, you know, that was particularly compared to what's just gone before it. That was pretty okay. Like I kind of had that weird, like, "Mm -hmm." you know, um, wait, what was that? You get the feeling that Mantlo is aware of the characters and aware of how many of the characters are there. Can you hear me? Yeah. uh, Yeah. You weirdly kind of popped and bumped out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what I said was you get the feeling that Mantlo is aware of the characters mm-hmm. and, and their different relationships to each other mm-hmm. and is, is, has a, has an idea of where he wants to take them. Yes. 
like in his two issues, he does more the, with Jocasta than has happened at any point up until that series. Absolutely, and almost immediately, Jocasta's written out. Like the next issue, yes. Jocasta gets written out. Yeah, exactly. And it really is. It hurts because, of course, she had been such a non-character in a way, and especially in that two hundred six, I really did like when it's Jocasta versus evil weather station Hal. I I liked it. You know, I really was. I was like, this is okay. Like, you do get that sense. Like, he, Mantlo really does sort of care about the characters, and he he wants to figure out a way to tell stories that are going to focus, focus on them. You know, the Marvel Comics way. And everything else around it. So, yeah, I was, I was so furious. Literally, I was like, Mantlo does 206, and then he does the letter columns, for the other issues where he's actually responding to people's questions and comments, not even about his issues about David Michelini and other stuff. He's basically doing free editor work until it's like, until Jim Shooter was like, Hey, good news. I'm coming in. I, yeah. I'm available again. <laughs> exactly. Oh my God. Also, as long as we, before we talk about the other stuff. I thought it was hilarious that right after Mantlo, you get issues 207, 208 by like Shooter, like plotted by Shooter and Bob Budiansky, and maybe Budiansky writes the script. I don't remember, but it's such the like, oh, okay, we finally, like, because it's yet another in that interminable, like, I am a person outside of time and space who has godlike powers who I've been, you know, and I've been suffering forever and I'm going to grab a woman and make her my mate. Oh no, the adventures have shown up and killed me. Cry it. Sheer shed a tear for me. Except, uh, do, you me to, do you want me to blow your mind? Yes. It's Budiansky and Danny Fingeroth. Oh shit. There is no shooter involved in this. Okay. Those. Shit. Cause it is, it's the ultimate shooter story. Again, it's everything that we've seen. Oh, but since it's, Michael. but it's not the ultimate shooter story because when he comes back and he does the Ant-Man, the Hank Pym story. Oh yeah. Holy mother of crap. Okay. Let's not jump ahead. Cause I am. No, but, but really, come on. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, I, I mean, see, this is the weird no, thing is, is like, I feel like shooter is such a ghost. Over these 25 issues, you know, you've got oh, stories. You, you definitely feel that there is a, a gym shooter in the background going, this is the way you tell stories. Right. Well, which you start seeing in Marvel all over the place, but it seems like very specifically, no, this is the way that you tell a successful Avenger story. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it well, really he, does make it easier to believe. He, yeah. He plots 202. Or sorry, yeah. 202 is based on a short story by Jim Shooter. Right, 202, right, two, part of 201 and the second part of 202 is that. Is uh, that and then Ultron he plots story. 204. Yes, and 205, which is, because it's the Yellow Claw 1 and 2 part, right? Yeah, well, he does, he's not actually listed as a plot. Bob Berdianski is listed alone as the plot for 205. Oh, okay, okay. But, you know, it's almost impossible Shooter was not involved, seeing as he was involved in part one of that story. Yes, exactly. Right. Uh, but then you have 207, 208, uh, with, where he is not credited as writing, but then he takes over again at 210, uh, 211. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he moves through there, and then there's a weird point where David Michelini comes back to do stories that Shooter is clearly plotting still, right? Doesn't that happen? Yeah. And it's, so it's just the guy will not leave. But it is interesting to me that finally at the end of it, well, at the end of it, that the Shadow Lord is sort of, uh, okay, here we are, we're going to tell a Jim Shooter story, but 
we're going to finesse it enough. Like we're going to take out the weird rapey elements. We're going to set up the fact that there's a, there's an actual genuine nemesis and we're going to see that nemesis and it's worse. You know, there's, there's the, we're just not going to take it on faith that this awesome character that the Avengers kills is actually awesome and all wonderful. Like he's real. They're really going to do that. Oh, I see what you're saying. Cause you're good. Okay. Well, anyway, cause I just realized the way in which the moon dragon storyline is basically an inversion of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which again, is that weird? Like, huh? Jim shooter and women. Interesting. So well, yeah, the moon dragon story is, yeah. And then but for his treatment of women, the Hank Pym story and his Jan in those issues. Holy mother of crap. Right. I mean, it's actually breathtaking. It's breathtaking to the point where as much as everyone's like, well, Hank Pym slapped uh, Jan, he's a bastard. No one ever talks about her portrayal in those issues, which is horrifying. Well, her, her, how do I put it? There is a weird, I, okay. I, I sort of wanted to avoid, um, like getting right into the thick of this, but the fact is, I actually thought those issues were kind of interesting and electrifying. Like, honestly, well, the, 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 you know, the shooter has a very clear purpose for what he wants to do, and he, he vaguely set up on his, with his first time in the book. Remember, yes. you had, mm-hmm. you know, Yellow Jacket, he'll never, you know, he'll never be the same again. The next issue is like, well, we found a machine and he's the same again. Yes, exactly. But, um, yeah. But you, you have, Shooter clearly knows what he wants to do and he wants to tell a very quote unquote Marvel story as he sees it, mm-hmm. which is about like the heroes are just like us. They can be fallible. In this case, fallible means, you know, being a complete dick and having a nervous breakdown, but they can be fallible like us. That's his take on it. And it's mm-hmm. very telling that one of the issues, I think it's 214. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 214. Uh, this thing in the cover. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe it's not too is it two Yeah, two two fourteen's the capture of the ghostwriter, so No, it's two seventeen. So the cover of two seventeen actually says this issue the people of Marvel Comics proudly present perhaps the most moving story you'll read this year. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, when when you read that story, you will be surprised that they said that. Yes. Because it? mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's not moving. Let's just leave it like that. Yeah, but yeah. It, it you get the idea that, that is shooter's take on Here's how superheroes do emotion, mm-hmm. you know, with absolutely no subtlety mm-hmm. and a great deal of emotional melodrama. Well, you know, because he's he's definitely reaching for something. Yes, but yeah, his, yeah, yeah. his way of getting there is is terrible. Well, so right, so I think that's I think that's what we're talking about. To me, is is there's a way in which, uh, I, I mean, the idea that. That Hank Pym is is mentally unbalanced is something that I, you know, as people end up saying in the letters pages, you can make a pretty decent case for it, like, throughout the... Oh, you can make the... a very good case of it. So it, it really is a natural extension. And frankly, although it sounds appalling, the idea of the Wasp as a battered wife, it, at least emotionally abused, makes... A, makes a certain degree of sense. You know, there, I think there is a way in which the majority of it works except for shooters execution. And one of the things that I find fascinating about it is there are times it, is shooters execution is something that is very, 
it's it's clearly very informed by what he thinks people want and yet whether it's his own proclivities or whatever he can never quite i mean i'm really fascinated the extent to which he gets back on the book and he moves very quickly into this storyline. And I don't know if that was by the nature of him thinking like, I really want to tell this story and I don't know how much time that I have left, you know, like how before my editor in chief duties pull me away. Or if it was very much this idea of like, Oh, okay. I see, you know, everyone loved the death of Phoenix. Like, let me tell you what it's like, you know, I'm going to do my, you won't believe what we do with the characters in this issue story. Because mm-hmm. I think that's really, I mean, maybe it sounds really crass, but I think that part of the problem to me isn't, the conception is very daring and ambitious. Um, the execution of it is terrible, but it's it doesn't feel like that weird, creepy, or at least to me, maybe it did to you, it doesn't feel quite as creepy in that of very special Avengers 200 way. You know what I mean? Uh, it doesn't feel that same amount of creepy, but there's mm-hmm. definitely a lot of creepy in there. Mm-hmm. I, I really, really had problems with the way the Jan was written. Re- mm-hmm. I mean, it, all through that storyline. Mm-hmm. But the 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 way in which she is portrayed as being utterly powerless mm-hmm. uh, before his whims, and he is clearly he's clearly abusive. Yes. Um, to the point where other characters are, you know, you get Tiger saying, oh, Jan, you're worth 10 of him. So like, he's meant to be abusive. Oh, yes. Yeah, and yeah, you yeah. Get her, and, but you have her just being like, I will give up everything to make you happy. And then even after they split up, where she is like, I'm being a strong woman and I'm not, you know, I'm not here for, I'm not dealing with your bullshit anymore. He's like, okay, then. And then she breaks down again. She's like, you mean I can't help you? It's... I kind of get what Shooter was going for, but there's mm-hmm. something incredibly offensive in his execution again. Well, it is pretty it is pretty offensive in his execution. I mean, I think um but it's weird. Like there's a weird thing going on. Oh, it's on with all Shooter. weird. Uh, well, I mean, I I'm sorry. When I say weird, I mean to me I have a, I have a lot of ambivalence about it because um there's Tigra is a really interesting case in point in the way that she's handled during this run on her, her term as an Avenger in that she basically comes like shooter throws her in there and almost instantly sort of makes her like stripper beast. You know what I mean? Like, yes, and yeah, exactly. She is, she is beast, except she's also hot. Right. Exactly. So she's going to be doing like crazy hot things. You know, this is like everything that you want, but there's, there's a weird way in which and and sort of like Jan, he goes on to have Tigra in in the big two part showdown with the molecule man um be weak, be weak and be failed and be compromised, and yet you know sort of comes through it like I think there's the i the thing that sort of bothers me is is that on the one hand. Um, shooter operates from this default of like, well, of course the women are going to crack before the men are, you know, but the other hand of it is he really does also, um, there's a little there it's maybe it's just, I've been tenderized by 
200 issues of largely super sexist treatment in the Avengers, but there is something a little bit different, I feel, in that he makes he makes it a point to make those characters heroic. One of the things I thought was really interesting about the Hank Pym-Jan thing is even though Jan is, like, Shooter has this thing of, like, oh, it's ripped from today's headlines. Like, oh, okay, well, I've read this, you know, article in the New York Times about how, you know, abusive husbands... Uh, part of why they get away with it is because the, the wife is a victim. Well, that's clearly what's happening here. And I have to show it is like crazy. But then he go he does go on to make Jan be like, she is, he repeatedly shows her as more competent than Hank. Now, admittedly, there's a way in which that really doesn't count for much by toward the end of the storyline. But there is a point that really struck me where Hank says something along the lines of like, you know, why did you have to save me? Like, why did you have to be the person that actually like his jealousy of her, his perception of her as a better superhero and a better person was kind of an interesting, like that also is not, that's also in there without it being challenged in a way, you know? Um, do you see what I'm saying? Or does that just sound yeah, totally? No, insane? no, I, I totally see what you're saying. My problem with that is that it, for me is challenged by the text. We're in shooter continually portrays, Jan as like I guess it's not supported anywhere else in the text because Jan is for all intents and purposes an airhead so which she self identifies as at one right. point right. right and it's not just because at first I was like well you can kind of give it give it a bit of leeway by saying well she's like this around him mm-hmm. but she's not like there are other scenes where it's like well what are you going to do now and she's like I'm going to get my hair done I'm going to go shopping for clothes. Well, yes, but you also have a period where she is the leader of the team and you never see her, like, make the wrong or bad decision, right? I guess. I mean, I know that sounds weird, but... Well, no, I, I totally get what you're saying. It's just I'm not sure that necessarily... I guess what I'm saying is the Wasp is only capable when it suits his plot for the Wasp to be capable. Right. When he is not actively saying this is a capable leader or this is a capable yes, hero. Yes, no, exactly. His the default wasp is, is, the, it, right. is, is, is this power, powerless airhead. Right. Right, right, That right. He, he specifically identifies as such. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you have, I guess what it is, is you have, you do have the scene where Hank is jealous of the wasp. Mm-hmm. But because of the way she's portrayed elsewhere in the book, that goes towards speaking to Hank's weakness and mm. not John's strength. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. I I think there's a really, really good case to be made for that. So, uh, and, and I think that you have, even when, when she becomes the leader, mm-hmm. she almost becomes the leader because, every, because the men are amused by it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that's very prevalent in that scene. Mm. Where she's like, I'm going to be the leader. And they're like, okay, you go ahead, honey. Right, right. It could be, could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was, they were more amused by the fact that she basically turns around and says, okay, I nominate me. And, and the guys are like, oh, what? I, I don't have a problem with that. And she's like, okay, then you second my nomination. Like she, har- I thought it was more the idea. She basically harangues them into becoming leader more than the idea of her actually being leader. That being said, it's the Avengers. Also, uh, I mean, we've. What's great is we do have that like Tony Stark, Tony and Jan 
romance issue that at issue 224 where you see it mostly through the lens of Tony Stark. But one of the things that I thought was interesting was, you know, the idea being that Tony's like, hmm, I seem to, you know, I'm kind of into Jan Van Dyne and he starts dating her and wooing her and winning her. But she doesn't know that he's Iron Man and he doesn't tell her through the course of the romance. And one of the things I thought interesting about this, and I should point out, I don't think this is, that's not a, I'm trying, I don't think it's, I don't know if Shooter plotted it or... Yeah, he's the plotter, and it's Alan Zellens as the scripter, which is just because like, that it's a, it's that weird point where like Shooter's like, I'm not letting go of this book, right? I don't exactly. care who fucking scripts it. Yes, I don't have time for it, but you you script it, you and and I will I I will you you will do my bidding. Um, you know, it is presented as at every point Stark is. Tony is not doing the right thing and he gets called on it by his teammates. And when the scene where he reveals his identity to Jan, she's, she's, she is, she's also appalled. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's one of those weird things where I kind of felt like shooter at this, like, I'm not sure how much of it is the madman thing, you know, at this point, like how much of it is, the way that men treated women back in like 1982 was still pretty sexist and horrible, but they knew it was supposed to be better. And they tried, they, some of them were having better luck at working on it or not. You know what I mean? Like I, I still, I can't really quite figure out where shooters proclivities are. I feel like they're well, in flux or they may like, be worse. So when we finish this, then we right. have to read Starbrand. Ha! Right, which really does clarify it in the most uncomfortable way, right? Yeah, Starbuck, well, like, to this date, possibly yes. the most awkward and uncomfortable comic Marvel's published. Oh, yeah. At least, on, at least under the shooter issues. Oh, my God. They are, those, those issues are amazing. Yeah, I wish, I wish they had them all on Marvel Unlimited, because they are... They so, are you know, they're definitely movie. all in a trade. There's definitely a Starbrand classic trade. I think this, I think the Starbrand stuff on, on Marvel Unlimited skips. In fact, that was your, uh, like, reason as to why you would never do Marvel Unlimited. You're like, no, I look, there's only the first four issues, and then... <laughs> well, then it changed your mind when I was like... Hey, You're going to be canceling once we get off the... Actually, hey, here's the thing, I, I might be canceling. I was thinking about that recently. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm, I, about that I, in large later? part because I am reading it far less. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, part of me is like, I might just sign up every couple of, like every six months or something mm. and like binge and then cancel after a month. Right. Right. Oh, Graham. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely, I don't really read it as much as I should. Good old Marvel Unlimited, but you know, but of course I'm sort of but like, knowing at, that it's there. well, yeah, that's me. I'm a huge fan of the knowing that it's their digital service, but but there is also kind of that thing of like, oh, I do sit down and read, like, even if it's just kind of a light week and I read like two or three issues, I'm like, well, but that's still if I, you know. Well, let's just say you read three stuff. issues a month right. and you're, you're right. fine. Like, you've, right. you've earned your keep. Right. And I find myself being like, well, like a new issue will come out of, say, um, Bendis's uh, all new X-Men or even Hickman's Avengers. I'm like, oh, boy, I'm going to sit down and read you know, 30 issues at a go of this, you know? Um, and of course it seems like now that things are picking up and, you know, Miss Marvel and she Hulk and a lot of the titles, the Marvel, some of the Marvel now titles from six months ago are popping up. 
uh, more frequently, I'm like, oh, this is great. I've got something to read besides Infinity, you know? So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I see your point. Um, I don't know. I was just thinking about it the other week because I was like, I don't even think I've opened that app up in a couple of weeks. Right. Well, there were a few points where the for people who are, are keeping track at home, I've mentioned several times that, that I, for the most part, am reading these through the GT Core PDF reprints that were issued on DVD around 2006 or so. Uh, copy and copy them over. So I'm reading them on Goodreader on my iPad. Uh, usually in a default landscape two-page spread, which is how Goodreader naturally, like it's the least amount of rehassling and resizing that you have to do. That being said, there were points where the reproductions and colors were so shitty that I, st- oh, it's, it's I jumped amazing, over. Right? Yeah, so bad. There, there's I actually a couple of scans in, in this batch that are just mm-hmm. yeah, not good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually went over and read them on Marvel Unlimited rather than than actually have to continue to try and figure out literally what the hell I was looking at in some of those issues. Because definitely there's the, like the Shadow Lord, there, there, Gene Colan is a quote unquote a regular artist here somewhere in the middle of this like 20 issue blob, 25 issue blob. And his work is the most un-Gene Colan like I think I've ever seen him. You know, you can tell in his face. Don Green is a while. really, really strong inker though. Like he overwhelms a lot of artists in this title when he's the yeah. Well, I think I think he feels obligated to, but but it's also more Colin is working with. He's not. I don't. He's his. Those scripts are so jammed. He's doing like six to eight panels a page every page, which is not really Colin's ideal format. You know what I mean? And he's, it's also not really Colin's ideal space. Like, yes, it's, exactly. No, it's it's full on superheroes, which is very unusual for Colin. Yeah, exactly. It's so it's not his usual thing. It's not the way he usually tells the story. And so there's stuff that just feels uncomfortable and rushed. And then it just gets shrunk down so dinkily that it's like, oh, yeah, it's. It's hard. I definitely don't feel like at least there was a little bit of a tonic I felt with with Byrne and Perez when we were making our way through 175 through 200. And here, I just, there there really wasn't much of a point where I was like, oh, thank God Greg LaRocca has stepped on. You know what I mean? Cause I, <laughs> I'd like to face it. How often do you actually think exactly. that? Exactly. Nobody has ever said that. I think, I think the closest I came was, cause, and a lot of it's Bob Hall, which is so forgettable, is the, when Alan Weiss is doing the two-parter with the Silver Surfer and the Molecule Man. It's not great. In fact, the reproduction, again, makes it kind of crappy, but at least it's got some personality to it, you know? N- yeah. N- not really the stuff that I like. But this but this really is an, an exceptional low point for this title. Oh, man. I mean, you can tell, if nothing else, so you have uh, 200, which is the horrible, horrible thing, but pretty much leaves the title in a bit of flux that it doesn't settle from until 2.11. Right. When you get the new team, the new team that is entirely random. Yeah. That makes no sense whatsoever. And even that team lasts for 10 issues. Uh, and then they have 10 issues later. Well, not even 10 issues, but 10 issues yeah. later, they have another The Old Order Changes. Yes, exactly. Within a year. Within a year. Yeah, no, it's very much like he... And I'm not quite sure what was going on there but yeah there was a lot of like well i gotta get like yellow jacket back in there because i've got my hank pym story i've got to get tigra in there although the whole point is to show how the tigra's 
not a great idea for Already. an Avenger. Yeah. E- even though she actually is, she, she was actually the character that I cared the most about, really. She was, well, she was, the, she was the character. She was the sympathetic character. Yeah. And she's also the point of view character for those issues. Yes, exactly. So I thought it was kind of interesting that Shooter is simultaneously doing that and doing the, yeah, but she's not good enough. And it's like, what? No. I mean, I kind of see, and this is, this is it. We're in this whole realm where I'm like, I'm completely in the dark. Does she come back? Cause I sort of feel like that can't no. just be it for her run as Tiger. She just goes right over to West coast Avengers. And that's what I'm yeah, thinking I think, of. I think she does. Wow. Wow. Like, I think that's it. I think she's gone. But also, it should point, be pointed out that you're, we're literally like two issues away from good stuff. Yes. Roger Stern starts with 227 right. and does a hero's work trying to redeem this book. Right. I'll, I'll, I've got to say, I'm really looking forward to it because the Avengers really, they need a savior by the end. By, by 226, I actually read two, 225 is the first part of another interminable feels like a fill in two part story where the Avengers have to, at least it's tied into the return of the black Knight. Who's a reoccurring character in the title. But But also can we we talk about, you can tell it's kind of a fill in when Hawkeye shows up. Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) Hawkeye has a terrible status in this title, which is he leaves steam, but doesn't really leave the book. And they just bring him back when things are slow. Well, at some point they've realized like Hawkeye is an interesting character. Right. So they're like, oh, you know, we don't know what we're doing. Let's bring Hawkeye back. He can well, be or, or else it's very much that idea of like, there's so many, cause I swear reading through 201 through 225, I really had that feeling of like, did the ankle heart stuff like freak them out so badly that they actually put, got a year worth of inventory issues in the drawer and then around 200 and just, yeah. And just decided we get, we have to burn these off. Like what's with that absolutely insane Carmen Infantino issue, issue 203 where beast and wonder man team up to help a, a Puerto Rican kid and his friends, the anaerobic mutants fight prejudice in the sewers of, Flushing or wherever the hell they are in New York. I well, mean, I, I think I think we're going to agree that that might be the high point for the book <laughs> ever. Yeah, it's don't there's there's a bunch of weird shit going on in these issues, I, but I'm not sure that it is necessarily all inventory as much as they just had no idea what they were doing with the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just from one issue to the next. It's like, okay, you step in. Okay, what have you got going on? Okay, you do this. You know, yeah. Um, we, we we just need to get this book out, and we don't have a team. So on you go. You do it. You do it. You do it. Right, right. Uh, I, I will say this: uh, it's. I was very happy to Don Newton do pencils for a couple of issues, and kind of wish he'd stuck around. Mm, where where is he in? Two hundred four, two hundred five. He does the yellow claw two parter. Oh yeah, actually, that stuff had that actually had more of a zing in what I think of as sort of a classic. Avengersy sort of maybe because the vision figures prominently in there, but there's a lot of stuff that feels almost Basima ish in a, in a good way for me there. Um, uh, yeah, I, he would have been, that would have been a good choice. What did you think of the, the moon dragon storyline, which is kind of a weird inversion of the Jim shooter story pa- paradigm of the, divine all-powerful male becoming a divine all-powerful female and what that does for a story 
Now, do you mean the the two eleven one shot or the 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 longer one that's what two twenty? Yeah, no, the no, longer two, one. Two nineteen, maybe. Yeah, two nineteen yeah, and two nineteen. Two twenty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no I... real thoughts. I feel like it's thematically important, but I don't know do how. I... Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of close to you with that. I I have problems with shooters Moon Dragon in general mm-hmm. because I think she falls into. I think Shooter sees uh, Omnipotent Man mm-hmm. as noble but flawed, and I think exactly. he sees Omnipotent Woman as bitches, basically. As kind of inherently evil, sort of. Yes, as like really tr- 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 troublesome bitches. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. And I, I, you know, that's... There, there's so much that's wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And, and because Shooter's Shooter, and because of the way he writes stories... Like that's never challenged, right? Like his noble, his noble omnipotent men always die, right? And then there's there's always the tone note of, well, we'll never know. See, exactly. That's what I, I think I, is fascinating. His idea of like, well, but you know, which makes sense compared to where he's coming from, what he's literally doing in his life. There is part of him that wants to say, but really, having a benevolent, you know. Com- male figure who knows what he's doing, taking care of everything. Isn't that kind of a good thing? And everyone being like, well, kind of, yeah, that is the natural order of things. And so I find but it fascinating. You Moon, yeah. You mm-hmm. get Moondragon coming and Moondragon is just, I mean, astoundingly evil. And also all of Jim Shooter's neurosis is one. Yeah. Like she divides the team. She right. seduces Thor. Yes. To just, you know, for the sake of it, and it's what's funny is you'd never have that play out in a gender switch in, in a shooter story, mm-hmm. right? You would ha- you have, or rather, that's not true. You would Actually. it would be played entirely differently because you have Molecule Man and Tigra doing a version of that, mm-hmm. but the dynamic is also totally different. Well, and with Michael and uh, what's her name, Carissa, Karina, Karina, is it? You, you know. Because the daughter of the collector who basically has cosmic sex with Michael and then is like, oh, he's awesome and I'm going to stick around for him forever. I guess the difference is it is exactly the same dynamic, but what happens is Shooter, and I almost have to give him credit because for like two-thirds of the two issues, he does not actually make it clear. And then at the very last third or half he makes it very clear you get moon dragon's thought balloons where she's like well i have to i barely have enough power to keep you know manipulating you thunder god <laughs> you know kind of no, thing. he doesn't play that he, like it's the very first issue like it ends with her being like i'm going to manipulate you and seduce you thor no like, she, it's incredibly obvious wait hold on hold on i'm jumping to those pages because i think that it's a it's um yeah, you know the sum of my guile. I've confessed to you. We should be closer. Let's have sex. And how do I put it? The way in the scene on, is on, clear that she's manipulating him, but I guess there's still some. On page, on page eight of the second issue, she actually thinks, "If I must manipulate you just a little." Okay. Yes, that, <laughs> like that she is... outright says it. Okay, I thought that was later in the second part of the of the thing. I thought that was very much the second the second half of it. But it is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird little set of issues. It's also kind of has that strange sort of, 
I guess there's always going to be kind of a squeamish fas- fascination for me for what sh- Shooter is doing here, because there's ways in which I'm like, well, he's he's not he's not phoning it in, you know. He's definitely oh, no, got he's, his he's always ambitious. Yeah, right, that's the thing. Shooter clearly knows what he's working towards. Mm-hmm. It's just that what he's working towards and how he does it is abhorrent. <laughs> but, but you could say the same about uh, Starbrand. For mm-hmm. all that I give shit about Starbrand, Starbrand was genuinely and very clearly his attempt to be like, okay, how do I make the superhero grow up? Right. right. I mean, it's very, very clear that that's what he's trying to do. Yes. It's just and- that he does it like in the creepiest way possible. How to make superhero grow up? Do I, you know, really investigate the power fantasies here and how that play out with the political situation? Or do I have him just fuck around? Like right. literally fuck around. Right. I, I think I'll go with the latter. Right. Well, and it's, I mean, who knows? I mean, it's possible that he was trying to build, particularly with Starbrand, the idea that he, you were going to have a character that was going to emotionally mature, kind of the same way that, that Englehart insisted that Star-Lord was supposed to start off as, you know, a total asshat and then evolve through the course of Englehart's, like, Zodiac-based mm. storyline or whatever. But I... I think there is a very weird um, – it's just that weird assumption that the Shooter has that, like, everyone's interested in doing it all the time. in the, and, and in that weird, like, like, you know, nudging you, like, when he's sitting there, you know, talking to you at, at, at the cocktail party. Like, you know what I'm well, talking well, about. It's very, you know? it's very adolescent. It's yeah. very – well, I don't, I don't know if it's that he, I don't know, he had an odd introduction to sex, or he didn't have an introduction to sex or something, but he, the way he discusses it is really crazily, creepily adolescent. Like, he just continually brings it up in this amazingly unrealistic manner. Well, but uh, when you say adolescent, to me, it is the, it is the, if it's adolescence, it's like the adolescent like the guy who got laid at 16 and thinks therefore he's like a guy and knows everything and knows how the world works. You know what I mean? Oh no, for me, it's no, for me, it's the guy who hasn't and yet has read about it and thinks he knows everything. Uh, Interesting. Interesting. I don't, maybe that is, that is not how it strikes for me. Shooter actually really strikes me as the sort of dude who precisely because he had a, you know, one or even several one night stands in New York during the mid eighties. He's like, this is awesome. This is what being a grown up is all about. And this is, this is also, exactly. and yeah. this is what superheroes should be about. This is what superheroes should be about. This is, this actually is well, this like, driving yeah. factor of life. You know, again, to get back to Starbrand, I always like, even when I was like 11 and reading that, I was like, I'm reading his autobiography. Right. And it's fascinating that way. Isn't it? Like that idea of like, so, like, Jim Shooter had sex with a potentially mentally impaired woman, and that somehow infected his view of, I don't know, ma'am. I don't know. Yeah, and, and then there's the babysitter, and then there's his girlfriend. Yeah, and it's like, I, like, I remember reading that at 11 and being like, this is really, really creepy. You know what we <laughs> should do? This. Graham, when I'm up in Portland, you and I should hit all of the comic books shops in Portland and assemble two complete sets of Jim Shooter's no, run on no. Starbrand. 
No, we shouldn't. It's only going to cost us no. about $5 a piece, and then we can actually uh, sit down and, uh, and read them and discuss them. Tell you what, I will I will look at Rose City this weekend and see if I can find some. Oh, yeah. God, that's this weekend. That is amazing. Wow. Um, yeah, so, wait, how long have we so, been talking? So, hmm. what did we talk for, like, almost two hours? We should drop it up. Yes, we should, but I'm kind of like, but we're just getting started, right? I'm like, no, 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 thank God for the <laughs> Avengers. Uh, <laughs> is there anything else that we should talk about, like, in the news or something? I mean, I don't know, I'm, I, before we wrap up, is there is anything... There- um, I don't, I don't think so. Have there, have there been any big news stories? I'm, well, I'm, Alison like, Bechtel yeah. getting the, the MacArthur Genius Grant is actually, in a way, I think, really impressive news. I mean, it's not yeah, going but, to be the sort what, of thing. But what can we say beyond, that's great. Right. She deserves it. It is great, and she does deserve it. I don't know. It'll be, how about it, how about it, this, it'll be interesting, like, okay, let's try this. Graham. Let's say, because once you do get in as a MacArthur Grant recipient, one of the (laughs) other powers that it gives you is it gives you the ability to nominate. nominate. Yes. So, Alison Bechtel... Change the selection process? Is that what you're saying? No, not change the... Basically, what I'm saying is, is just by the nature, although it is... Alison Bechtel seems in so many ways like a very specific one-of-a-kind sort of like lightning strike scenario um, of getting them well, MacArthur Grant. Very much. And, and it's really interesting that it's it's Bechtel and it's not earlier cartoons. or somebody. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like earlier cartoons who had a similar breakthrough. Right. I think I think it says a lot about the way that uh, comic books are considered now, but yeah. also the particular importance of Bechtel's work as as domestic for want of a better way of putting it like mm-hmm. she has managed to make these universal works of art out of things that are not like here is a political situation that i'm you know oh yeah making a grand statement on right right I, I think it's i think that's i think that's the decider i think that's what changes yeah so so right my hypothetical question is for you who's the person that you think should get the next who should be the next cartoonist to get the macarthur grant who should be and who will be for you uh i'm going to take up on will be because i don't think we're going to see it again in a long time okay i i I think i think allison is is it for a while i i think you're probably right but let but again i'm trying to so you're just going to refute my what if and not give me any well yeah i i just don't i what you said you know who should be and who will be and will Mm -hmm. be i don't think there is a will be right my answer to will be is no (laughs) Your I I refute your premise entirely. Who should be though is a good question. Because um, I think, although I, really I could be know. wrong, I think there is a very good chance that Chris Ware could be the second I, recipient. I don't think it would thing. necessarily I be Ware, in ten that was years. Like, no. Yeah, but okay. But why do you think no? Because I don't think his work is universal enough. Mm, interesting. Interesting. I, I think that Chris Ware plays really well to a very, as was say, a very particular audience, but that's not true. I think it plays very well to a couple of very niche audiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think it has the, the universality mm-hmm. of of Bechtel's. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, if I was thinking of shoots, mm-hmm. I would probably... Oh, God, I'm blanking on her name now. Pussy Simmons, that's who I'm thinking of. 
Oh, they, interesting. They don't, they don't give it to non-Americans, do they? It's American only. I think it is American only. Yeah, I think so. Well, otherwise, I would say Posey Simmons. Although, didn't Posey Simmons, didn't she win, was it the Booker Prize? Or she won like a prestigious British shortlist award, didn't she? For, I'm for going to look it Going to look, no. Uh, come on, Posey Simmons. Come on your Wikipedia page. You'll tell me what she's won. Uh, it seems not. She's an MPE, though. Oh, is it? Interesting. Okay. I knew she had some sort of honor. I swear I thought it was some other, like, shortlist prize, something like the Booker. But anyway. Who would you go for? Well, so I do think. If, if not, where? I think where is the will be, although that will be period may be as far as five to ten years into the future. Um, for a should be character, though, I think for me, with the idea that the MacArthur grant is for quote unquote geniuses in that it allows them to continue to do a particular level of work um, and exploration within their field without having to worry about the, you know, financial repercussions of things, you know, um, I would, I think that I would give it to uh, Kevin. I think my should would be Kevin Huizinga. I, I think. Oh I think, God! Very good choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's a great choice. Yeah. So I and I, I, you know, I I'm going to go. I have another shoot that I've suddenly just thought of. Okay. Jaime Hernandez. Uh, which Hernandez? Jaime. Jaime. Yeah, Jaime Hernandez is a great choice as well. Actually, I think so. I think so too. Um, although it's interesting, and we'll see. Like honestly, out of out of our two shoulds, I think Jaime Hernandez is like five million times more likely. To, to get oh, yeah, it before because yeah, yeah, he has he has the cred yeah like, the the cred the work the just the variety of the stuff that he's doing I think he's got I think he would have a very good shot at it so we'll see what happens but I think who's that would be great I think who's would be great you've just reminded me that like I haven't seen any new work from him in ages you know it's true although I thought I read a recent interview with him. There was a really good interview where he was talking about a variety of stuff and it made it sound like he had like a a bigger work coming out soon, I thought. He's been doing a bunch of um mini comics, I know that. Well, right. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. I don't and remember. He's, he's been sharing he's been sharing uh stuff from Ganges on his Tumblr for a while. Oh, has he? From the next issue of Ganges. So it's, uh, he's definitely working on it. Yeah, I think maybe I'm thinking it is the next issue of Ganges. Anyway, there was some article I read with him, which I thought I just thought was the interview with him where it's like so goddamn good. And I was like, yeah, he he is one of those guys where I just feel like the stuff that he's done and continues to do is at such a high level. But also in that weird, like, I'm not the sort of person that's going to be very excited when he, you know, does his like... 200 page graphic novel that's like out of basketball floor plan diagrams that's also someone's you know emotional autobiography of high school but but i think he should you be able didn't to do like that, that? <laughs> <laughs> it's not for me graham not for me no, i gotta I, say are you are you explicitly making reference to the second issue of or else or not uh i kind of am although i don't think that it had that same emotional undercurrent did it uh, I, it didn't have that particular undercurrent, but I would say it yeah. had very strong emotional undercurrent. I, 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 that was, that was the first thing I read by him. And that was the thing where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm incredibly in love with this man's work. I read it when, um, Sean Hoke sent me the mini comic version, the, the super monster issue. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Which is pr- 
pretty much the same issues as the Orels, which is pretty much the same issues whatever it was called when it came out as a hardcover. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gloriana was what it was called when it came out as a hardcover. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are, for all intents and purposes, exactly the same comic in progressively more expensive formats. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it is one of those works for me. Mm-hmm. It's up there with like Hugo Tate, which I always mention as like, you know, I, I completely knocks me off my feet comic book. Uh, um, what is which what? Hugo Tate. Oh, Hugo the, Tate. Uh, Nick Abad's, uh, stuff from the, the 80s and early 90s. Mm. Um, it just remains like complete gut punch hmm. of a comic. I, I think it's amazing stuff. I, and yeah, I remember reading uh, Gloriana and having the same reaction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, interesting. I, 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 For me, I actually... I'm trying to think what won me over on Huizinga. I definitely... There was like a... There was something like... Because he was doing... He was doing two books more or less at the same time, right? Ganges. Yeah, he had Ganges and he had Or Else. Or Else, right. So I think I might have read like an issue of Or Else and an issue of of Ganges within like a relatively short period of time of each other. Maybe the first issue of each. And I was just like, holy shit, this guy's amazing. But um, yeah, maybe it was Curses, which was the collection of of some Or Else stuff and and some other stuff because he does like to rework his yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause that's the reworking. Wasn't Curses the reworking of Or Else number three or two or something? I want to say it's Or Else number two and the, the nature and issue. Some right? material from number one as well, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, it was, it was fine. I mean, honestly, the stuff that seems to interest, uh, Huizinga the least, his sort of, quote unquote humanistic stuff with Glenn Ganges is the stuff that I adore the most. Like when he does the, the four issues of Ganges or three, the one where he's, he's cartooning literally Glenn's descent into sleep is stunning to me. Is stunning yes, to me. Yeah, I, is, I would it, love it is, to see him get that. Yes. And, and it's, it's, I don't know if you feel the same, but I feel he's gone more into esoterica mm-hmm. over the last few years and, yeah. and away from narrative. And it's a shame because I think when he does narrative that is uh, influenced by his mm-hmm. esoteric interests. Exactly. His, his work is stronger. I think when he just does completely like, I'm going to be wacky. Right. That Then it's interesting, but it's not exactly the, the must read material. Right. And who knows? Maybe that means that in a way the MacArthur grant would actually – like I said, it he might move him. Would be the worst of, thing for him. Yeah, exactly. It would definitely <laughs> exactly. move him out of that area. That, but you know, where he would be holding to no one. But I personally think that it would be, he deserves it nonetheless. Um, you know, there's other people too, like if Phoebe Glockner, because I think Phoebe Glockner's work was just a tremendous gut punch to me. But I don't know to what extent she's still in the field. You know what I mean? Like I kind of don't know if she. I'm not tracking how much she still wants to be doing comics even, but she's somebody that I wish could have, we, people could have gotten a genius grant into her hands because I thought the work that she was doing was just, was absolutely stunning. So I, I um, totally want like one of us to say a ridiculous name. Oh yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. No, I know. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, you know who really deserves it? Brandon Choi, uh, you know, or I, I don't know. <laughs> That's more ridiculous than I was thinking. Well, I was really? Thinking, how, how ridiculous? I was thinking going? like Bill Willingham or something like that. Something <laughs> that you actually believe someone would actually make that argument. 
<laughs> do you right. know what I mean? Right. Where, exactly. where they're like, you know, but if you look at fables, if only he could do what he wanted, and you're like, uh, no. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's funny how you like, you know, there's even, there are, even are some people, but yeah, I mean, you know, I would not be like, oh yeah, let's give Matt Fraction the genius grant. Like there is. No, but yeah, but, but it's funny because I was just looking over my bookcase and I was like, Paul Pope. And then I was like, no, not Paul Pope. <laughs> no, we, we don't give that to Paul Pope. Right, right. Exactly. God, I didn't even try looking at that. Well, you know what? I came up with such a good, good one right out of the gate. I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. So. Impact. So yes. I think Jeff is saying Jeff Lemire <laughs> and Graham is saying Scott Snyder. So there we have it, everybody. <laughs> that's what that's what we're saying. That see now I feel now I feel like we're completely just dishing at Scott Snyder, Jeff Lemire, which is completely unfair. <laughs> no, 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 no. Because how do I put it? Like no, because I think well, this is actually worth discussing in a way because I do think that there's a way in which. Um, there are guys and Paul, like the fact that you said no to Paul Pope is a perfect example. I feel like there are people who are entrenched enough in sort of mainstream comic marketplace that they don't have an, they don't really have a problem getting their work out as far as we know, and especially not getting it out far from the way that they conceive of it. You know what I mean? Like there is an, there, Paul Pope has managed to carve out a certain part of the market for himself. And also it probably helps that a certain angle of what he's interested in doing is very close to what the, where the marketplace is interested in being like battling boy has a lot of things to really recommend it that are fascinating. But one of the things that is interesting is it's sort of a, like, okay, like it always drove me crazy. And this is just me again, being an American dickhead, but what's the British prize for like the, um, for the pop artist, you know, emerging pop artist, the Turner, the Turner, yeah, prize? the Turner prize, right? There's a lot oh, no, of time. Wait, you said pop artist. Do you mean like visual artist or no, 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 no. Sorry. I mean like a musician, but like a lot of the musicians are the people who are nominated for the award can be oh, in the, my the, mind. The Mercury surprising. music, the Mercury music prize. Is yes. What you're thinking of. The Mercury music prize, which can go to people that I find, you know, relatively within the mainstream of, of pop music. You know what I mean? Would you, would yeah, you disagree it's, it's, with that? You know, no, it's, it's totally true. So the Mercury Music Prize is a prize that I, I don't even know if it still exists, but definitely in the nineties when it first came up, yeah. it was like, here are, you know, the 10 artists or bands that are making the most interesting music. And it right. would always be like, you know, two really mainstream bands, mm -hmm. like five, pretty much mainstream bands mm -hmm. and then you know three other acts that you've never really heard of right and it would almost without fail go mm -hmm. to like the mainstream band yeah you know yeah. they'd be like and it's portishead and it's blur and you'd be like exactly. don't get me wrong right. i love their album right but really right so so that's a little bit like what we're talking about you know is the sense of like we're not i'm not shit talking scott snyder i just mean that the guy does not, I think, need a prize exactly. to be able to. He, yeah, exactly. He's fine. Know. Scott, yeah. Scott will be fine with the career he has. Thanks very much. Exactly. Yeah. For yeah. me, no, it's I, very I, much. I totally get what you're yeah. saying. So, yeah. so yeah. I, I, and just to make, just to make sure for those people who were very confused about whether we were shit talking or not. Jeff Lester hates Scott Snyder. <laughs> Pass it on. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. That's me. All, hey, all, so, yes. so to, to play us out, uh, I want yes. to 
go over something that I said in email to you earlier on this week and also something I said at the start of the podcast, which was, hey, I've been really crazy busy and I've, there's lots of things I've not read. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you, like, what is in, on my to-do list and hopefully I will have done by the time you get here. Mm-hmm. Um, I have on in my to-read pile, never mind the fact that I have, like, five volumes of the spirit hardcovers from the library that I'm I'm not going to get through because they're due back relatively soon. And like I said, I do have other things that I need to read. I have The Wrenchies by Farrell. Oh, yeah. Farrell I still haven't Bull. read that either. Mm-hmm. I have uh, an amazing book from Nobrow Press that I'm like maybe three pages into, but I've looked through and it is Drop Dead Beautiful. And people, I'm going to say this name and you should Google it and see the art and then you'll be like, oh, it is a stunningly gorgeous book. It's called In a Sense Lost and Found by someone called Roman Muradov. Oh, yeah. Roman Radov. Muradov. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Yeah, he... who's a New Yorker cartoonist. Uh, is he? I, I, I take your word for it. I wanted to look at – I meant to look this up. Oh, hold on. Maybe I've got the book right here because I was going to say, yeah, 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 that guy. There's a guy – oh, hold on. He's apparently a client. He's apparently worked for the New Yorker, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Penguin, Random House, Vogue, Time, NPR, GQ, and the Washington Post. You know who else he's also worked for? Who? Lauren Davis. He has uh, several pages. He has like five pages in the comic book guide to the mission. Uh, No one will love you anymore. How to scrub Craigslist interviews and hip. All by that him. is hilarious. I have to go and find that book again then, because I've got that book. Um, yeah. But yeah, so this is his debut graphic novel, and Jeff, it is stunningly beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. it is breathtakingly beautiful. Um, and that's either just about to come out or just out from No Brow Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have the Cobra collection. Oh, yeah. The first six issues of Cobra from Bergen Street Press. Yeah. Which I am literally like half of the first issue in. Mm-hmm. And, and it's one of those, oh, God damn it. Um, and I have the, and I can't say his name. What is the name of the man who does the King Cat comics? Oh, uh, John Porcelino. I, I think it's I have Porcelino. The new, I have the new John Porcelino graphic novel. Oh my God, you do? You bastard. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, that's what's just it. If I could read these before you get here, then you can take them away. Oh, wow. Well, that's, that's, that's you huge incentive. I'm going to, I think I'll have to make a, an extended social phone call on Kate's mom, like tomorrow afternoon for about like, two hours or so so that you can actually proceed through that it's um, so cute do you think i wouldn't use that time to work jeff <laughs> oh i know i'm just trying to be like hopeful um, um but no it, it's so i i really do like have an amazing like not only an amazing amount of stuff to read but all of those books look amazing mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah, no, I'm, and I'm so excited that you're finally reading Copra. And of course, I saw that edition. I think I've got all the individual issues. I almost ponied up and bought the the Copra. I may very well end up buying it. It's it's a lovely book. You can see it is gorgeous. It's, it's, a, gorgeous. it's a lovely collection. Yeah, packaged. And I'm so excited you're finally reading it after interminable after amounts ages. Of maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe ages like just just not. You've got yes, a crown. Why are you this? And yes. basically, like, I, it was one of those things where it got to the point where I was like, I'm not reading it because everyone wants me to read it. I know. There was a certain point where that was around the, and of course, like, three weeks after you went on that position, I was like, oh, okay, I can never mention this again then. Okay, fine. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll never, ever yeah. read it. Okay, then. Exactly. That's fine. <laughs> right. But yeah, so, so, so hopefully by the time we, we next podcast mm-hmm. i will have read those things if not by the time we next talk because jeff you're up in portland next week that's right i am uh so people like i said um i'm very much thinking about the us like uh 
filming some sort of video of us at the waffle window, which we will be planned to piece together and throw in our um, digital Dropbox for our Patreons uh, of a certain level. Um, please do consider that. Uh, Graham and I are going to be hanging out next week in person. Very exciting. And then podcasting the week after that, which seems odd. But I, I'm thinking that that's actually <laughs> going to work weird, out right? both. Yeah. I mean, part of me is like, I could bring up the equipment and we could try doing it because we've done no, it live before. But We have done it live before. But it's, yeah. I think it would honestly just be more fun for both of us if we don't. Yeah, like, I think so, too. Like, if we just hang out. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because also, last so, thing was super weird because we were like, to, to Kay and Edie, okay, mm-hmm. we're going to go and record a podcast for two hours. You guys entertain yourselves. Right. <laughs> well, but on the weird hand, I was like, I had no problem that they were doing that. But yeah, well, no, no, I had no just... problem with them doing it either. But it's kind of like weirdly antisocial, I guess. I think it's just much more comical, the idea that I'm going to get together with you and on a completely social basis, probably spend hours talking about comic books. And then the next week... We're going to get together and again. spend hours talking about comic books, but it's going to be the job. So, you know, yeah. it's just kind of that, a that, very That's the way it works out. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, what, what we're saying, listeners, is um, it's going to be, by the time United's Heroes podcast, we will have whole new in-jokes to make to each other. Oh, boy. Lucky you guys. Um, <laughs> we It'll should say, do, do you want to tell people where to look for us, Graham? Because I think that's always like a really good way to sort of finish things up. We're on the internet, people. You can mm-hmm. find us at waitwhatpodcast.com. You can find us at waitwhatpods.tumblr.com, which I haven't been updating at all in the last two weeks because, really, I have been very busy and I'm very sorry. Right. Um, I also haven't been updating my own Tumblr, which might be a more of yes. a busy right. I've been. Exactly. Um, you can find us on Twitter at, at waitwhatpodcast. Mm-hmm. And you can find us, uh, or you can find our Patreon campaign, I should say, at Patreon dot com forward slash wait what podcast am mm-hmm. i correct with that that yes. that is that is correct yes Absolutely. uh thank you as ever to the people who have given money to our patreon campaign it is incredibly generous of you it is incredibly what is the word i'm looking for uh, appreciated appreciated yeah it's going to say well received here but that just <laughs> uh, it, it is it is very appreciated uh yeah. by us both uh, yeah. uh in a way that's i does not sound sincere when I'm saying it, but I am very sincere when I say it. Um, and you do make it kind of sort of possible for us to do this and possible for me to cut this time out of this increasingly dumb schedule I've got. And yeah, thank you very much for everyone for, for doing that. It's, it's a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, it is a pleasure and a privilege. We are we are super grateful to our patrons. And at some point, I've got to sit down. In fact... I, Graham, when you and I are in Portland, we actually kind of have to have a quote unquote business meeting and kind we of do. We have to have like stuff. a general yeah. meeting. Yeah, which is going to be kind of interesting. But yeah, there's, there's, I think there are some people who have joined us who I've fallen behind on sending stickers to. And, um, soon we'll have people that we actually have to solicit questions for, for a question podcast. That's all rolling along. But believe me, everything that we've done, uh, since relaunching the podcast is very, very directly attributable to these now currently 78 patrons supporting us um, and everyone who listens to us here and now. So we thank you so very much. 
Oh, I should also say that we're also available at iTunes and Stitcher. Yes, iTunes and Stitcher. We do have our own RSS feed for people who actually just want that, even though it says iTunes <laughs> like in the neither. title. Yes. Yeah, you yeah. can you can actually import that son of a bitch. But but Stitcher for some people who have reported having problems with getting our, loading our podcast on their Android devices may want to consider Stitcher. iTunes for the rest of us who are trapped with a U2 album we don't know what to do with. Um, you know, it's deleted. <laughs> And on that note, um, Graham? And on that note, Bono, sing us out. Yes, indeed. <laughs> if only one of us could do a Bono. Grammo Vox. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, I can't do it. I can't oh, do it. Bono Vox. I forgot that. Oh, God. Bye! <laughs> Perfect. Perfect.